Welcome back to the Film Cafeteria, everybody. I'm Scott. And I'm Brittany. And today we are doing our top 10 films of 2022. Yes. Uh, this episode we're going to go through some honorable mentions of both film and television first. Then we're going to do our top 10. And then we are going to get into our Oscar bets. We this are, should be a fun yeah. take on the bets. Because yes. we're betting $5 for each Major category. Yeah, major category. For people that, I mean, for us, whoever got it right. Yeah. So at the end, yep. whoever had the most ones to be correct, yep. we have to pay the other one out. Yep. So $5 a head. Yep. <laughs> I uh, I am not going to get cocky about this. I'm Me nervous. either. I'm nervous about it, too. I'm not going to lie. I'm so nervous. I don't know why it's so fun, but I'm, like, nervous yeah. about it. Um. All right, so let's go ahead and jump into our honorable mentions. We're going to go through these kind of quickly and just kind of uh, skim over some things that we saw this year that we liked, but either didn't make it onto our top 10 because we just couldn't really find a place for it. It was or just too many movies to choose from. It, it was. Um, I guess before we do this, how did you feel about 2022 as a movie year? I think it was great. Yeah. Because I think it really kind of came back hard after a few years of it not being that yeah. way because think about 2020 2021 yeah you yeah, know those were not almost non-existent movies yeah. and the few that did come out it never it didn't hit really hard yeah i mean and a lot of people weren't going to there's a lot of people weren't putting movies in theaters sure. so and it's still it, it felt like that way again this year yeah this year um we struggled a little bit to cover all of our 2022 movies because it was so hard to see films theatrically here in Atlanta. Yeah. Um, I'm really hopeful for next year. For me, me 2022 is... Or should we say this year? Or this year. (laughs) (laughs) You are correct. Um, For me, 2022 is a year full of kind of gems, like hidden gems. Um. I kind of thought it was perfect that we did our True Gems episode right before this, you know, uh, you know, more or less right before this. Um, mostly because I, I do believe that this year is a year full of movies that in 10, 15 years will be like, I can't believe this came out and didn't get seen. Yeah. And... Uh, that, that's like, you know, a lot different. I mean, it wasn't 2019 where it was just sweeping across the board yeah. of amazing stuff. It wasn't 2007. I don't think no, we'll ever but, get that again. No, I don't think so either. I mean, I think back on 2007 and even the, you know, kind of quote unquote rom-com of that year was Dan in real life. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. You know, and we had Michael Clayton that year, There Will Be Blood, No Country for All Men, all and these I, amazing films across the board. Yeah, and I think it's really hard to kind of do a repeat or a copycat of that year it because is. there were so many diverse movies coming out and right yeah. now we're kind of getting it so limited it is in the diversity of how movies are made yeah but i i really did enjoy this year of movies i did too i or should up, i say 2022 yeah movies <laughs> and, and i did too more than i expected to yeah when we started talking about doing this it on cursory glance just googling movies released this year it really looked like we were going to end up just doing a top 10 of TV. Yeah. And then when we started catching up on some stuff, I was like, there was some really good stuff released this year. Yeah. That just did not get sold very well. Yeah. Um, Cause I mean, a lot of the movies that we ended up watching 
I realized I did not see a lot of trailers for them until we started doing our top 10. Yeah. Once we started doing our movies of 2022, that's when I started seeing the trailers for them. Yep. Because I had no idea they even existed until we actually started looking them up. But I hadn't saw them previously. Yeah. So that was a little weird that the advertisement for those things weren't quite yeah. getting this year. Yeah. So they were true gems in the sense of 2022. They yeah. were. Yeah. And, you know, I think there's also a little bit of you know, there is this element where, depending on where you live right now, depends on how much you've kind of heard about something getting a release. Here, it definitely felt like most things were just wait for video. You know, yeah. wait for streaming, and then you can see it. Which has been very unfortunate. But doing a quick glance over things coming out in 2023, it seems like studios are about to go even harder than they did this year. And are really going to try and drive theatrical runs a bit more than what they did this year yeah which i'm very excited for uh i'm super excited for a couple of things that are coming up which we may or may not get into in this episode um but yeah so i guess we can go ahead and jump into our honorable mentions for film yeah so the first one we have on the list is a cheat (laughs) the first two are cheats the first two are (laughs) well the first one i feel is a cheat and then the second one is more of like a Ah, uh, this sucks that we didn't get to see it from me. Yeah, okay. Uh, the first movie I wanted to mention was Memoria. Uh, a Pitch Upon Worsetical's film starring Tilda Swinton. Uh, this was supposed to be on my top ten of last year, but Neon and Worsetical decided to release it in a very different way. They decided to give it an endless theatrical run in which it'll play almost like a museum piece, playing only in essentially one theater at a time. Um, so we didn't actually get to see it until this year. Yeah. Seeing it this year, I mean, the movie was unbelievable. Yeah, it was great. It was different. It was it, something new for me. Yeah, it was, uh, where Sedical is a filmmaker that, uh, I struggled with figuring out a way to cover him on True Gems. I wasn't really able to, so I'm excited to find an episode where I can cover him and talk about him, because in terms of working filmmakers right now, he is probably my favorite. Um... The other one I wanted to mention was Master Gardener. Master Gardener is Paul Schrader's new movie. Uh, It stars Joel Edgerton, who plays... uh, My understanding of the plot, I've been trying to keep away from it a little bit, um, is that he plays uh, essentially a a white supremacist Mm -hmm. who has left that lifestyle and is now a gardener working under Sigourney Weaver and um, ends up meeting a... uh, young woman, a young black woman, and um, who is played by uh, the non-binary actor uh, Quintessa Swindle, um, or Swindell, I'm not sure how to pronounce her last name. Uh, and um, they, I, I, I don't really know if it's a friendship or they fall in love or what it is, but it's Paul Schrader's new movie. I'm pretty sure it'll be appropriately controversial <laughs> once it finally gets released, but it was initially supposed to get a release this year, and it did not. So it is, uh, I saw in November that it got bought by Magnolia, and we'll be getting it in 23. Awesome. Um, so maybe it'll be on my list next year. I'm hoping so. Uh, our next mention is The Pale Blue Eye. Yes. Scott Derrickson's film starring uh, Christian Bale. Mm-hmm. It also features a very, very, very brilliant performance um, 
from Henry Melling as Harry, Harry Melling as uh, Edgar Allan Poe. Mm-hmm. That movie, uh, it, I think it has a lot of problems, but his performance and Bale's performance were off the charts. So definitely a movie that um, I really, really like. And uh, the other one was uh, 13 Lives, uh, directed by Ron Howard, starring Viggo Mortensen, um, Colin Farrell, Joel Edgerton. It, it is That was a movie that the reason we watched it was because we had heard that it was Paul Thomas Anderson's favorite movie of the year. Yes. We were like, this Amazon movie? <laughs> directed by Ron Howard? What? <laughs> Ended up watching it, and we were gripped. I mean, we started that movie late. It's a two and a half hour movie, and we were on the edge of our seat through the whole entire movie until one a.m. or whatever time it wrapped up. Yeah, I was blown away by that one. That one was great. Yeah, I mean, Colin Farrell did an awesome job. Viggo Mortensen did an awesome job. Um, Joel Edgerton. So it was really great. It was. I loved it. It was so inspiring. I, it was. It was. Uh, it was like kind of number fifteen on my list of potential so, movies. Okay. Yeah. It, okay. I, which I was not expecting a Ron Howard movie to be there, but I was. I was blown away by it. Yes. Okay. So another of our honorable mentions is Men. Um, it was. It came out in early twenty two. It's a full car written yeah. and directed by Alex Garland. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the amazing stars is Jesse Buckley and Rory Kinnear, and that was amazing because it had a a really powerful message behind it. So I really enjoyed that one. Yeah, and that's why I made it my honorable mention because it it was a movie made by a man that was talking about men. Yeah, and I yeah. thought that was an awesome thing because you gave me a little bit of the backstory that he wrote it in the sense of okay my daughter is growing up yeah so how would i want her to be treated how would i look at the world today of when she gets out there into the world what what does that look like from a male's like point of view and what would that look like for her and i really thought that was an amazing story to put out there so for me it was men i agree alex garland is one of my favorite working writers and filmmakers, uh, somebody who we're definitely going to end up covering at some point on this podcast. I was very hesitant about this one um, because Annihilation, his previous film, is one of the most insane and incredible films I've ever seen. Um, So I was very, very excited to check it out, and it did not disappoint. I really loved it. It was another one that... uh, It's honestly the one that I was the most surprised to not make your list. Um... Yeah. <laughs> but it, it was uh, it, it was very good. So up next we have a movie that everybody is talking about, which is Tar, yes. starring Kate Blanchett. Um, written and directed by Todd Field. It is not based on a real person or a book, which is phenomenal. Which is surprising, because yeah. I thought it was. It feels like an um, bi- autobiography yeah, of someone. Yeah, it feels like somebody's biopic, but and it is not. not. <laughs> um uh, we talked about Todd Field earlier this year and kind of mentioned this movie when we were talking about uh, Twister. Um, I was I was very, very surprised uh, by Tar. I thought it was fantastic. And I think a lot of other people have um, really kind of, uh, you know, already covered just how incredible and how perfect yes. this film is. And mm-hmm. I think Kate Blanchett is, is... Phenomenal. Yeah, she's phenomenal and I'm... <laughs> Pretty sure that she's probably going to win the Oscar, and we'll kind of get into that a little bit later. But, like, yeah, uh, yeah it, that, that one was amazing. Uh, up next is 
Moon Age Daydream, which was a documentary by Brett Morgan about David Bowie, uh, and one that I would definitely recommend. Yes. And then my next one is uh, Glass Onion. Um, it is a nice out mystery, and it is a mystery film written and directed by Ryan Johnson, um, starring Daniel Craig, Edward Norton, Janelle Monet, Catherine Hahn, Leslie Odom Jr., um, Jessica Henwick, Madeline Klein, Kate Hudson, and Dave Bautista. Yeah. So this one was really fun. It I was. liked that one. Uh, it was so fun. But you know what's so funny? Like, I figured out who the killer was yeah. within the first, like, 15, 20 minutes yeah. of the movies, you guys. Yeah. I totally figured out. I was sitting there, and we were watching it. I was like, no, it's that. It has to be. And then I was right. And, and then the, it, Daniel Craig comments on just how stupid really? the, the twist really is as yeah. it's being dealt with. Yeah. Uh, Breaking that fourth wall a little bit. Uh, absolutely. Uh <laughs> You know, uh, I for me the the movie I, I loved it. I love Ryan Johnson. Um, Janelle Monae I thought was phenomenal in the movie. Yeah, she was amazing. Um, it's also a movie that I keep. Uh, there's one specific moment that keeps making me laugh involving Dave Bautista. Like it just crops in my head every once in a while. It <laughs> makes me laugh where he plays a men's rights activist in the beginning of the movie. He has this line where he says, when I talk about the breastification of America, and every time I think about him saying that with that straight face, it just makes me giggle. So I, I love that movie. Okay. And then next up is X. Yep. It is a 2022 slasher film. Yep. It is written and directed by Ty West. Um, it's starring Mia Goth, Jenna, uh, Jenna Ortega, Martin Henderson, Brittany Snow, Owen Campbell, Stephen Urey, uh, and Scott Muscutty. I mean, this was awesome, too. Yeah. I didn't expect to see all these people from really different areas, but still yeah. all actors and entertainers yeah. in the same movie. So this one was quite surprising for me, but I enjoyed it. Yeah. You know, I don't like too much gore. So a couple of the scenes, I really did have to cover my eyes. Yeah. <laughs> but for the most part, I really loved it. And Mia Goth was awesome. She did she, an amazing job. It's so did Kit Cuddy. So, yeah. I mean, I just have to mention that. She killed it. And, uh, of course, as you know, she made it onto my top ten. Yes. Uh, yeah. No, I, I liked X a lot. I yeah. thought this was fantastic. It was very fun, too. It I was. liked it. Okay. Uh, up next, we got another movie that was a lot of fun, but also surprisingly emotional, which is Everything Everywhere All at Once. Um it's a movie written and directed by the Daniels. It's their follow-up to Swiss Army Man, a movie that I also really enjoyed, starring, of course, the great and radiant Michelle Yeoh. Uh, Kehu Kwan, who has come back after some time in the wilderness and, and coming back in a big and beautiful way that I'm in love with. Um, Stephanie's, I, I think her last name is Sue. Uh, Jamie Lee Curtis, uh, James Hong has a small part. Um, Jenny Slate shows up for a second. Um, I saw this movie... Uh, for the first time on an airplane and was, you know, wondering if it was the altitude that made me want to cry or the movie. <laughs> and then we rewatched it so that you could see it. Um, and rewatching it, it's the same moment comes up where she has this great little bit. She's speaking, Michelle Yeoh is speaking like a monkey. And when you read the subtitles, the subtitles come up one word at a time. And when you get to the last word, it, did it again. I was like, it was not the altitude. It was the movie. It made me want to cry. I yeah. was a really, really fantastic movie. Yes. And then we have the greatest beer run ever. I wanted to make that as a honorable mm -hmm. mention. It is a biographical war company drama um, directed by uh, Peter Farley, screenplay by Peter Farley, Brian Curie, and Pete Jones. It's based on the greatest beer run ever 
book by John Chickie Donahue because he was the one that the story was about. Um, and that one was pretty funny and interesting to me too. And it was pretty cool yeah. to see that. And of course, some of the stars is Zac Efron and Russell Crowe. Yep. And it was really cool to just see this like, like crazy kind of movie where this yeah. kid just gets on a plane and he doesn't have to say too much of anything. People just suspect him of being an FBI yeah, agent. Yeah, or a CIA agent. Yeah. And they, CIA, yeah. Yes. And he just goes across all on these military from one plane to yeah. another just to deliver his friends who are all, all in the war beer. Yeah. And so it was kind of a really crazy and amazing story. So I, I um with this one, I was surprised how emotionally involved I got. I when you sh- <laughs> when you first mentioned it, I was like Zac, Zac Efron, Peter Farley, Vietnam War. This sounds awful. Um, and then I was very shocked at how emotionally involved I got with this one. I, I loved it. Yes, and then Amsterdam is another yeah. um honorable mention. It is a twenty two period comedy thriller film. Um, it's directed by David O. Russell and written by him. Um, it was starring Christian Bale, Margaret Robbie. John David Washington, uh, Chris Rock, and Anya Taylor Joy, Zoe Saldana, Mike Myers, Everybody Michael Shannon, Timothy <laughs> Oliphant, Andrea Riseborough, uh, Taylor Swift, Matthew Schoenerhart, uh, Alessandro Nivola, uh, Rami Malek, and as well as Robert De Niro. Yeah. So it was so many people in it this was. film. It was. This was like star central. But I really liked it. I did too. I liked yeah. it. It was actually something that was really cool to tell that side of the story. Yeah. Doing close to... You know, the whole Nazi regime yep. and things taking over from there. And I love the dynamic between Christian Bell, Margaret Roby, and David Washington. Yeah, like, I love, yeah. yeah. So I love their um, kind of little triangle. I did, too. Kind like, of relationship they yeah. had going on. I so love it was that good. it was not a love triangle. That no. it was a, a, a It was triangle very much a friendship. friendship. And yeah. I, I love that aspect of it. I was hesitant to watch this movie because I did not like David O. Russell's last film, Joy. Um, <laughs> But I really love that run from the fighter up until recently, uh, up until um, uh, American Hustle. Yes. And uh, I was surprised by Amsterdam. I really enjoyed it. Me too. Uh, up next, we got Barbarian. Yes. We talked about this movie on the show, uh, written and directed by Zach Kreger, uh, starring uh, Alexander Skarsgård. Um, I'm sorry, Bill Skarsgård. Yeah, they look alike. Uh, yeah, they do. <laughs> and, um, uh, my dude, Justin Long, and the great Georgina Campbell. Um, we covered this movie pretty thoroughly and I mean, it was still, it, it's just a fantastic movie. Craig's, uh, next movie just recently got announced, which I'm excited for. Um, up next is Rob Zombie's The Munsters. This is a weird one, but <laughs> I, I, I like a lot of Rob Zombie's films. Uh, I was surprised by this one. I think that it gets a worse rap than it deserves. Uh, I will say that. It is the one movie of his where I can openly state that I think Sherry Moon Zombie was a little bit of a, a mistake in terms of casting as uh, Lily Munster. Uh, Jeff Daniel Phillips is phenomenal in it. Um, Daniel Roebuck as the Count was unbelievable. And um, there's there's also uh, uh, our dude Richard Brake yes. actually gives plays two roles in the film and uh, really, really killed it. But like... I. I just, when I was watching a movie, I was blown away by the set construction, by the way that he made the movie. Um, all of the aspects around how he put the film together was unbelievable to me. I thought it was kind of funny that a lot of people 
their critique of the movie was they were like it was just so bad and so corny and so silly. Yeah. And to me, I was like, then you obviously never watched an episode of The Monsters. (laughs) Because as somebody who's seen The Monsters, I'm like, this is essentially a two-hour episode. That's essentially what it was. And I I enjoyed it. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Up next, we got Prey. This was the uh, Dan Fatchenberg Predator movie it's not really a prequel it's not really a sequel no, it's, it's not um but it was an unbelievable uh kind of take on the the predator franchise uh starring an all native american cast and i was really really blown away with the movie in particular uh amber mid thunder uh, mid thunder's performance and uh dakota beavers who played her brother mm-hmm. uh this was his first movie ever I, it, my understanding was he was working at like Target or something, mm-hmm. went in for that audition, and I I hope that he has a very long career yes, ahead of he him. He was great. Yes. He was uh, really kind of like a shining light in that movie to me, and I, I was very impressed with this film. Okay. Um, next is Emily the Criminal. It is a 2022 crime th- thriller front film. Um, it was written and directed by John Patton Ford, um, starring Aubrey Plaza, Thea Rossi, Meglin I'm sorry if I mispronounce her name, Gina Gershon. Um, but um, I actually liked this one. Yeah. It was, you know what it was? It was nice to see Aubrey Plaza in a different take. Because usually she's kind of like the really sarcastic, like funny person. Yeah. And this one, she was pretty serious. And it was really like heartfelt. I was like, okay. Yeah. So that shows me her, another whole dimension of her and how yeah. her acting ability. Because I'm, a lot of people put her in these very sarcastic, dry humor kind of um, yeah. like roles, but she actually did a really good job at being very serious in this one. I was excited that this year is kind of a the secret year of Aubrey Plaza. Yeah. Uh, between this and the show we're going to talk about on our TV mentions, uh, she has either done something like Emily the Criminal, where she completely moves away from her persona, or something like The White Lotus where it's almost like she's deconstructing her known persona. I I was very excited by this one. Yes. Um, And then next up we have uh, Black Phone. Mm -hmm. It is a coming-of-age supernatural horror film. Um, It was directed by Scott Dickerson, Derrickson, excuse me, and screenplay by Scott Derrickson, C. Robert Cargill. So based on the Black uh, Phone by Joe Hill, um, starring Mason Thames, uh, Madeline McGraw, Jeremy Davies, um, James Ranson and um, Ethan Hawke. Yeah. So it was a really, I thought this was a cool kind of like horror film. I, yeah, I did too. I, you know, I mean, Joe Hill, of course, is Stephen King's son. Mm-hmm. Uh, it definitely has that element of kingness yes, it to does. it. <laughs> I think that the first 20 minutes and the last 20 minutes of this movie are unbelievable. Yes, it is. I think the middle of the movie becomes Stranger Things for no apparent reason. Yes, it does. But, um, <laughs> but I like Stranger Things. So. I, I did too. Uh, Regardless, though, I, I I like the movie, especially Ethan Hawke. Um, okay, up next, we got Top Gun Maverick. <laughs> uh, I enjoyed seeing this movie in the theater. I really enjoyed it. I'm also a fan of the original Top Gun. Um, I thought it was, it was wonderful. Directed by Joseph Kosinski. Um, written by Ethan Kruger, Eric Warren Singer, and Christopher McQuarrie, Tom Cruise's Mission Impossible Partner in Crime. 
And uh, featuring an all-star cast of Tom Cruise, Miles Teller, Jennifer Conley as one of the best pairings romantically I've ever seen with Tom Cruise on screen. John Hamm, Glenn Powell, Lewis Pullman, Ed Harris, and of course, a beautiful cameo by Val Kilmer. Yes. That is a cheat. The movie <laughs> cheats. It cheats a lot. Yes. And the Val Kilmer sequence is the biggest cheat. But regardless, that was a cheat that nearly brought me to tears. Yes, it was me as well. Unbelievable seeing him. It was a great theatrical experience. I'm so glad this movie did as well as it did. And yeah, and I just bring in Blockbuster back a little bit. It did. was really big, so yeah. I loved it. Yeah. Um, and next up, we have Avatar: The Way of the Water. It is a epic science fiction film, of course, directed by James Cameron. Um, the screenplay is by James Cameron as well. Rick Joffa and Amanda Silver. Um, it is starring Sam Worthington, Zoe Zaldana, uh, Sigourney Weaver, um, Stephen Lang, and Kate Winslet. So they were some of the biggest avatars of the film. Um, this one was pretty interesting. I enjoyed it. A little long. It could yeah. be shorter. It could, yeah. it could definitely be shorter. And then we saw it in 3D. So it brought some of that like movie magic to yeah. it as well. Um, <laughs> but it was all around cool. I mean, I enjoyed the first one. It's entertaining. Yeah. So I thought that would be an honorable mention. It's kind of like a really big, huge, like wonderful kind of. I mean, it's it's not only the biggest movie of the year. Visual effects kind of movie. So I just thought it was awesome. Yeah. And it's not only the biggest movie of the year. It's one of the, the biggest movies ever made yes. right now. Um, <laughs> I, I was, I mean, we talked about it a little bit after we saw it. Uh, I think I'm in the minority of people that the the middle hour of the movie, our end of hour one through hour two yes. of the movie is kind of my favorite part when they're just hanging out in the ocean. Yeah. Um, I, I also, though, just like I can't tell the Navi apart all the time. And I, I just like, I don't know. I, I could because one was kind of greenish while the other yeah. was blue. I, I can I, uh, tell the difference, you know. I, I don't know. Like I, I, um, I guess, like in fairness, I wasn't even a fan of the original Avatar. Yeah. But I will say I like this one a lot more than the first one. So Got you. It was a it was a worthy experience uh, to go and see it. Okay. Um, now we're gonna get into our TV mentions. Yes. Uh, like I said earlier, I was really surprised because. I really thought we were going to end up just doing a top 10 of TV and just kind of mentioning some films as we did an Oscars episode. Yeah. Um, there, this was a very, very good year for television. It was. Just, you know, right down, right off the bat. I mean, it was a great year for television. Yes, it was. Um, we're going to start it with Tokyo Vice. And full disclosure, I only watched the first two episodes. Um, and I did not like episode two. I liked episode one. I, I checked it out because Michael Mann is a, a filmmaker that I have been studying for years, and he directed the first episode. Uh, it was the it's the series was created by J.T. Rogers, but it's based on a book by Jake Adelstein that I've read. That that book is unbelievable. It stars Ansel Elgort, Ken Watanabe, uh, along with like a whole host of other people. Um, I I really love Michael Mann's episode, but getting an episode two, I really just don't feel like it captured the book the way that it could have. And mm -hmm. so I, I admittedly need to give it more of a chance and watch the rest of it and see how I feel. But, um, I, I loved Michael Mann's, you know, direction in episode yes. one. I thought it was beautiful. So. Yeah. Okay. And then our other one is, uh, our range. Yep. It is a science fiction, neo Western that is actually streaming on a prime video. 
So you can catch it there. Um, just season one. So we're waiting for season two yep. to start. I guess yeah, you bring some up uh, when I mentioned Tokyo Vice that's on HBO. So. Yes. Yeah. Um, it was created by Brian Watkins. I'm starring Josh Brolin, Lily Taylor, uh, Imogen Poots, um, Lewis Pullman, Noah Reed. Um, just to name a few. Um, it was a great movie. I like sci-fi films. You know, it just depends on how they do it. But this yeah. one was pretty interesting. I mean, you're going into some kind of alien, foreign black hole, and then you kind of pop out the same age some decades and centuries <laughs> later and in a totally different, like, age than what you, uh, per- or should I say period, than what you were born and grew up in. So it was pretty interesting. Um, I'm excited to see what number... Uh, season two has to offer yeah i i only watched bits and pieces of this one with you but i was um i was excited to see josh brolin doing his thing for you know 10 episodes or whatever it was it was was great him and lily taylor yeah yeah lily taylor's always yes and the next up we have the bear tv series um it's a comedy drama and it's uh created by christopher store it's starring um jeremy allen white even Moss Badrack, uh, Ayo Edevry, Lionel uh, Boyce, Lisa Colin Zayas, and Abby Elliott. So sorry if I messed your names completely, um, <laughs> but I think it was a really great, yeah, like TV show. It was cool, and I'm excited for season two as well to come up because I mean it was something really cool. And oh, and it had guest starring, or should I say, a cameo appearance by Sean Bernthal. Yeah, yeah, so he was the brother in Jeremy Allen White played the younger brother yep. and his family passed away and they owned a restaurant and then his brother unfortunately passed away. So the restaurant was giving to him and he had to learn how to kind of, and he was a, actually a really good chef yeah. in like a New York restaurant. And then he had to come back home yeah. and learn to cover an entire restaurant of his family's for some time. And he hired some people and he had an old time friend that he called a cousin there. And there was this young, beautiful black girl that came in and kind of wanted to do some new things and cook and do some things for herself. And I thought it was a very awesome and interesting dynamic. Yeah. So that was one of mine for the TV series. Yeah. And I, I I love Jeremy Allen White. You know, I've loved him since we watched him in Shameless. So I was excited to see him in this and I, I enjoyed the show thoroughly. Okay. And the other one is, Rap shit. (laughs) So we all know that it is a comedy. It was created by Issa Rae. It's uh, starring Ada Osmond, Kai Million, um, Jenica Booth, uh, Devin Terrell, and RJ Seiler. Or Seiler. And this one is pretty cool, too, because it's about this woman, this young woman, who kind of works in a hotel, essentially. But she wants to be something more. But instead of like wanting to be part of how you say mainstream culture that talks about, uh, you know, art and rapping in a way, um, she wanted to kind of go a different way than showing her body and, you know, revealing all these things just to become one. Um, and then to essentially end up having to kind of do that in a way anyway. And she kind of teams up with someone else and they become like a little rap duo. And then she kind of messes it up close to the end. She yeah. messes it up. So spoiler alert, she messes it up and kind of goes back to her old way of like trying to come up with her own rap lyrics. That's not too mainstream. People don't really care for it. And she kind of messes up their opportunity to become really big yeah. at kind of like a performing 
kind of, uh, how do you say, review or whatever they were doing for an actual big party where there were music producers and music companies there. So she kind of messed it up. Um, I really enjoyed this one. I'm excited for the next season as well. So we're all waiting on all the seasons to yeah. come back up. And this one, so I only watched bits and pieces of this one with you, but this one was kind of a spiritual successor to some degree or another to Insecure. Right, like I mean, it was kind of in the same vein to some I degree. I guess so. I mean, okay. that to was me, sort knowing, of, yeah, the reason why I okay. say that because I know it's different characters and a different yeah, kind of and I don't but, know how spiritual related they are. In yeah. a sense, I'm just saying because yes, Issa Rae character and Insecure raps all the time, right? Uh -huh. But that was never anything that was more than that for her. That was more of her, um, how you say, like a side of her that she just had to, you know, that inner voice that you kind of hear. Hers yeah. came out in raps. Okay, okay. So the inner voice she always heard in Insecure came mm. out more in raps. And that's how she got to express herself fully sometimes without okay. being able to express it through conversation with people. Yeah. Sometimes she would just stand in a mirror yeah. and like rap it out gotcha. how she felt. That's more like how I do with my poetry. I just like, I have to do poetry sometimes to really express how I feel. Yeah. So I think that's just how her thing was going. Okay, yeah. But so I don't know if that was anything that had, yeah. to me, rap shit had nothing to do with that okay. in that sense. So yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, I, I saw really kind of just the end of the show with you. Mm -hmm. And the one thing I will say about it that I was very impressed by is I'm not somebody who uses social media, but um, her way of integrating social media and voice calls and video calls and all that stuff into the story and into the way in which it was filmed, it gave it such a modern edge that mm -hmm. I thought was very, very cool and uh, very right for for the time that we're in now. Yes. Um, up next, we have another show that is very right for the time that we are in right now, <laughs> which is We Own This City. Yes. It is uh, based on a book by Justin Fenton uh, by the same title. It, it's uh, created by George Pelicanos and David Simon, starring uh, John Bernthal and the whole list of other great actors. Um this one is kind of uh, more or less a sort of sequel in some ways to The Wire mm -hmm. um, and was far and away probably one of the best things I've seen all year. I mean, I really kind of fought to figure out a way to get it on my top 10 list. I was blown away by this show. Yeah. It's a limited series, really. I was blown away by it. Um, I would totally go back and watch it all over again. Yeah. I, I was, I was, I just, Really, really loved it. So um, I hope that David Simon is able to kind of do more <laughs> stuff like this in the future. I mean, like, I, yeah. was, I was just in awe of it. Yeah. <laughs> and so up next, we have one um, that was a big deal for both of us to finish. Yes. Which is The Walking Dead. Yes. We, it, it concluded this year. Um, there will probably be an episode at some point in which we talk about zombies and this show and other yeah. things, but, uh, we made this as an honorable mention for like our TV yeah. series. Cause it, I mean, of course it started back in what, 2010. Yeah. But I mean, it's just wrapping up, you know, in 2022, but we thought we'd give it an honorable uh, mention because it was just something that was just quite really amazing for us. Yeah. Um, how'd you feel about the ending? That's really my only question with this one. <sighs> I'm torn on it. Look, I, did you hear that pause? Yeah. Uh, just, I don't know. <laughs> the ending was a little flat for me. It was for me too. It was a little flat for me, but I will give the series as a whole like yeah. a major like two thumbs up. Yeah, me too. Um, 
I am very excited for whatever they have coming up next. Uh, I know that they are planning on doing um, a lot of spinoffs. Yeah. So I'm very excited for that. Uh, up next, we got Andor. Yes. Uh, a Star Wars show developed by Tony Gilroy, starring Diego Luna. Um, also has a tremendous performance from Fiona Shaw. Fiona Shaw. And um, a great uh, kind of smaller role by Stellan Skarsgård, bringing in another Skarsgård of the Skarsgård family. Yeah. Um, I was not expecting to like this show. <laughs> I am uh, not, I, I have not been great about keeping up with uh, the Star Wars TV series. Mm-hmm. Um, but knowing Tony Gilroy was a part of it was very exciting and that got us to check it out, and I was just thoroughly floored yeah, by I was, that show. I was pleasantly surprised about Endor because it did actually come off like this amazing Marvel film. Yeah. Like, it felt really big, like the films. Yeah. So I really enjoyed it feeling that big. Like, it was a lot put into it, and it showed. And there were some great actors, of course, so yeah. it was the, amazing. That final episode is one of the kind of crown jewels of... Oh, yeah. Anything filmed that has been released, I think, in the past few years. And, And, you know, the only thing I am is like, oh, does it take so long for the new season to come out? Yeah, you know, I mean, um, while I I am, I know that the next season is going to be tremendous. Mm -hmm. uh, That is the one thing is that they they do something nobody else does now, which is they build the every single set from the ground up physically. And you can tell when you watch the show. Yes, I mean, the, the craftsmanship that went into that show is unbelievable. Yeah, so definitely worth it. It's just, I'm always like, no, <sighs> Yeah, I think, I think we're way until 2024 for season yeah. two, which will also be the final season. Because mm-hmm. it's just simply too expensive to do four seasons worth of that show. Yeah. Um, up next, we have White Lotus. Uh, each episode is written and directed by Mike White. Uh, this is the second season yeah. of the show. It stars F. Murray Abraham, who is amazing in it. Uh, Jennifer Coolidge, Adam DeMarco, uh, Megan Faye, uh, Beatrice Grano, uh, John Grease, Tom Hollander, uh, Michael Imperioli, Theo, Theo James, Aubrey Plaza, of course, Haley Lou Richardson, Will Sharp. Um, I, I was iffy on season one of The White Lotus. I... Thought season one was a lot of fun, but would have been a great two-hour movie. Season two of The White Lotus, I was really enthralled with, in particular the ending. And, um, I mean, anything where I can watch Jennifer Coolidge do her thing, I'm, <laughs> I'm down. So I, I really, really enjoyed that one. Um, I know they're about to do a season three. And uh, I'm sad for, you know, spoiler alert, I'm sad that Jennifer Coolidge will not be returning. Yeah. Um but I am uh, very excited, nonetheless, to see what they choose to do next. Yes. And then, of course, one of our favorite. Yeah, another show that came yeah. to an end. And it yes. just makes me so sad that it's not here anymore. <laughs> is Peaky Blinders. Yes. Um, it is a period crime drama. And it was created by Stephen Knight. Yep. And some of the amazing stars are in it. It's Killian Murphy. Sam Neill, Helen McCrory, rest in peace, yep. um, Paul Anderson, Annabelle Wallace, Ido Goldberg, Joe Cole, 
Benjamin uh, Zephaniah, David Dawson, Andy Nyman, Charlie Creed Miles, Tommy Flanagan, Noah Taylor, Tom Hardy, Charlotte yeah. Riley, Finn Cole, Natasha O'Keefe, <laughs> Amy Fian Edwards, uh, Gate Jensen, and Alexandra Zidick. So yeah. it was a it's a lot it's a it's an action packed, star packed, yeah. awesome show. And then you know, of course, in this last season, we had Anya Taylor Joy and oh, yes. uh, Sam Clayton, who uh-huh. was also in there. I thought that it wrapped up so beautifully. I think it did too. I'm so excited if they do the movies. Yes. Uh, or if they want to bring it back for another series. Whatever they do to bring back the peaky fucking blindness, I'm down <laughs> and I'm there. I, I just, I, that's that's one of those shows that I can just watch over and over and over and over again. I just absolutely love it. Yes. And so up next we got... Um, Actually, up next, we got your show. Oh, we got The Last Kingdom. Yep. Okay, so this one also wrapped up this year. So I'm actually really sad. Yeah. (laughs) Because this was actually one of my all-time favorite shows. Um, It's called The Last Kingdom. It is a um, kind of British historical fiction television series where you can actually stream it on Netflix. Yep. Um, It's based on the books um, by Bernard Cornwell's uh, The Saxon Stories. Um, and it was amazing because, oh yeah. And it was developed by Stephen Butcher, but it was amazing because one of my favorite, uh, kind of times in history was the kind of monarch yeah. kind of medieval stories, medieval stories yeah, yeah, essentially, essentially with yeah. castles and Kings and Queens. Yeah. And I'm so fascinated by this like time period, you know? So this was one of my favorites, not only that, but it's based on a lot of sto- stories that's that's dealing with like warriors and kind of like you setting the tone for the rest of how um, the rest of the British territories were actually brought together. Um, and it was really amazing because some of it is actually based on real life events, but they just, in last Kingdom, they, they kind of just mix and mash everything up. Yeah. But a lot of it has a very lot of historical facts to them. Yeah. So I enjoy that story. I mean, one of, my favorites of all time. I don't yeah. know. I feel like a warrior deep down on the inside. So <laughs> I'm bringing it. So destiny is all. Yeah. You know, I started watching from the first season with you so that we could actually yes. talk about that one on this show. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I really was impressed with it because when you first started watching it, first started telling me about it, it kind of sounded to me like a Netflix version of a Game of Thrones ripoff. No. Um, <laughs> And, oh, and to name, sorry to mm-hmm. interrupt you, just to name a few actors, Alexander, Alexander Draymond yeah. is um, Uhtred, he's Uhtred of Bevenberg, um, David Dawson is King Alfred, Emily Cox is Brita, uh, Tobias um, Saddleman is Ragnar the Younger, yep. um, Adrian Bauer is Lefric, um, Thomas uh, Gibrilson is Gunthorum, uh, Simon Coons is Otto the Elder, Harry McIntyre is Ethelwald, um, Rune Timte is Uba, Joseph Milson is Elfric. Um, Brian Vern is Otter the Younger because they play different versions and times of histories of these characters. Mm-hmm. Uh, Amy Wren is Mildred. Um, Charlie Murphy is Esau. Uh, Ian Hart is Father Bayoka. My favorite yeah. in the show. Yep. <laughs> and Eliza Butterworth is Ellsworth. Um, Thor Lindbergh is Guthrid. Eva Bristol is Hild. Oh, she is one of my favorite characters because mm-hmm. she's the nun of it. Like, she's really amazing. Oh, yeah, she is. She's yeah. really cool. Gerard Kearns is Halleck. Or Halleck, should I say that? Halleck, Halleck. Yeah. Um, David Schofield is Abbott Edric. 
um, it's to, to name a few because it's a lot of people yeah, reoccurring, yeah. coming back, guest starring for a few, a lot of people. But those are some of the main reoccurring characters that keeps coming back. I've been, uh, as we've been going through the uh, show together, I have been thoroughly impressed with it. It, it is such a well-written show, but in particular, the action sequences yes. in that show are unbelievable. It is. And, and uh, I... I always love great action because to me, great action is pure cinema when people are not speaking, but are just, you know, doing something. Yes. Um, I, I was very, very impressed watching the action sequences within that show. And in each season, when they get a little bit more money, you know, they really spend it right, which yes. is incredible to see. And I, I've, I'm very excited to continue with yes, that show. And, and what I also about liked it. about this show is that the consistency was there. Yeah. And they did. They upped themselves every time. Like, I can't remember a time where it actually fell flat for me. Like, some shows do in certain parts of it. Yeah. And then you you kind of pick it back up later or it never picks back up. With yeah. this one, to me, this one stayed amazing all the way through. Yeah. And that's why I really enjoy this show. Yeah. And speaking of consistency and enjoying it all the way through, mm -hmm. uh, up next is Barry. Yes. Barry is, it's it's a show created by Bill Hader and Alec Berg. Um, Alec Berg, who also created Silicon Valley. Um, it stars Bill Hader, Stephen Root, Sarah Goldberg, uh, Glenn Fleischer, Anthony Kerrigan, the great Henry Winkler. Um, it, in my opinion, Barry really should have been like in my top five of yeah. my top ten this year. Uh, there's one episode in particular uh, where... Barry, who is uh, um, Bill Hader, plays a hitman named Barry, who at some at one point in the first season starts taking an acting class, yes. ends up meeting up with Sarah Goldberg. The plot sounds insane, but then when you start watching it, it's it is so beautiful and yeah. so well done and so well crafted. This season was so brutally dark yes, and is. like just pitch black dark, but I loved every last second of it. The last episode is tremendous. There's one episode in particular where Barry gets on a motorcycle and is oh, yeah, getting on the freeway. Yeah. And, oh, I, I just I love this show. I cannot wait for the next season. I know the next season is the last one, which makes me so sad. Yeah. But I am very, very excited for it. Um, up next, we have Guillermo del Toro's Cabinets of Curiosity. Yes. So this was a weird one. Um you know, we, we ended up kind of watching this around Halloween time-ish. It's a Netflix series, and that was about when it came out. I'm uh, hot and cold on on the show. I think it has great episodes, and I think it has some episodes that don't necessarily work. But the show is essentially a... Uh, I mean, it is a, a, an anthology series, and is essentially Guillermo del Toro's version of... A show that came on Showtime years ago that was developed by Nick Garris called The Masters of Horror. And in each episode, he has a different fantastic horror director that comes in and does their take on something. Most of it is Lovecraft-related, H.P. Lovecraft-related mm -hmm. to some degree or another. Uh, I really enjoyed the Lot 36 episode uh, with uh, Tim Blake Nelson. I thought that one was fantastic. And in particular, I really, really, really loved the what is the final episode of the series if you watch it in order um but you really don't have to uh called the murmuring mm -hmm. based on a story by jennifer kent uh and uh featuring andrew lincoln from the walking yes. dead um 
uh, that was a really, really, really great episode. It, it was not necessarily a horror episode. It was very emotional. Um, but I, I loved it. I, yeah. I thought that episode in particular was, was one of the best things I've seen this year. And I really loved it. Um, I'm also going to give a quick little shout out to the South Park specials that came out this year. Uh, I enjoyed them thoroughly. They were very funny. I always <laughs> love South Park. And, um, also a special shout out because we really got into it this year, even though I have not always been that into the show to stranger things, which yeah. we also mentioned. Yeah. Um, I real I, I am like kind of, uh, in a minority of people that really love season three on yeah seasons one or two i'm sort of meh yeah, on. it was a little slow and a, a slow build up but one, like you said season three through the end because once it really hit its stride it got going and that's when i really started to love it and we got in it and we started yeah. kind of binge watching it back to back we really got into it by season three i think we were yeah. really deep into it i love which season is one of the most amazing honorable mentions is like the Kate Bush song. Yes, yes. <laughs> that running up that hill. Running up that hill. That I, was like a such a beautiful and profound moment for yeah, me I, when Sadie Sink is like, like yeah, trying to break free from this like. Oh, yeah, that was yeah. amazing. That was amazing. It, it was great. Um, I'm very excited for whatever they're going to do with the final season. Mm -hmm. uh, I, you know, my my complaint about the show for the first two seasons was too much of the adults not enough of the kids yeah uh season three on i felt like they had a tremendous balance and all of a sudden i found myself really liking i mean i always loved david harbour as an actor but suddenly i found myself really liking his character and mm -hmm. like you know i once he was it was just him and l yeah in season three and then by the time we got to this new stuff i mean i i was really really into it i mean we were we were at a a uh uh, I think it was like a 4th of July thing or mm -hmm. something. And we had just watched one of the episodes and the entire time I was sitting there just so anxious to get back home. Yeah, so we could just so that it. we could watch the next one because I was so into it and so like heartbroken over something that had happened with Elle in that uh, uh, episode that we had just watched. So, um, And then last but certainly not least, yeah. it is ending. It is the bookend yeah. to our um, honorable mentions for TV series. It's Blackbird. Mm -hmm. it is, it's a crime drama, and it's based on In With the Devil, A Fallen Hero, A Serial Killer, and A Dangerous Bargain for Redemption by James Keane and Hillel Levin. Um, it was developed by Dennis Lehane, yep. um, starring Taryn Edgerton, uh, Paul Walter Hauser, Sepide Mofi, uh, Greg Kinnear, and Ray Liotta, the great Ray the Liotta. The great Ray Liotta, yes. who is so incredible in this show. Um, I enjoyed it. I mean, I, I, you know, I was kind of in and out of it through certain parts, you know, like just emotionally in and out of it, but, uh, great performances. Yes. And great. we can get a, a special shout out to the music. Yeah. The music by Mogwai. That, yes. that was kind of my favorite thing about it was hearing new Mogwai music. And I'm a big fan of theirs. So. Yes. And we thought this was like a really kind of cool yeah. You know, I love the tone of it. That's one thing I will say. I love the tone. It was really interesting. And I, especially the last, like, two or three episodes, I was, like, deep into. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. And I, uh, I'm i interested because, you know, we, we've been looking at a couple of the other Apple shows. I mean, I'll, I'll throw a shout out to Slow Horses, even though I haven't finished season two. Um, I, I 
am kind of surprised at the quality of some of the shows that they're putting out right now. And, uh, I mean, we love Ted Lasso, Mm -hmm. but past that, we really hadn't gotten into many of their other shows, but with Blackbird and Slow Horses, uh, I was very thoroughly impressed with what it is that they're going after. So I hope that they continue with that. Yeah. Awesome. So we're going to take a quick break, and then when we come back, we are doing our top 10 of 2022. Yes. All right, and we're back, and we are here doing our top 10 of 2022. Yes. So, so you're going to do your list, and then I'm going to do mine? Uh, we'll bounce back and forth, like 10, 10, 9, 9, so we'll okay. do it like that. Okay. Kind um, of a little matchup. Yeah. Okay. So uh, starting mine out. For my number 10 slot, I got the Bob's Burgers movie. Okay. It was directed by uh, Lauren Bouchard uh, and Bernard Derriman. Um, if you've seen the show that comes on Fox or you can catch it on Hulu, uh, the entire cast is there. So everybody from H. John Benjamin, Dan Mitz to, you know, uh, Chris and Shaw and Zach Galifianakis and Kevin Klein, everybody's there. I love this show. Like, it's like my favorite thing. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I love putting this show on. I absolutely love the the tone of it, the feel of it, all of the music. You know, the fact that it's kind of a borderline musical of stupid songs. <laughs> Everything about it just makes me happy. And, you know, like coming out of pandemic times and all that stuff, I think like that, that dose of happiness was much needed yes. that this show provided. It, it has a, a great story of a sinkhole uh, coming up in front of the the um, uh, restaurant in front of uh, you know Bob and his family's restaurant, uh, <laughs> and simultaneously you know the Belcher children are investigating the murder of a carney. You yes. know it's like I, everything about it was everything I wanted out of a a movie. You know initially I was a little kind of like oh, okay I thought it would go maybe the route of the Simpsons movie which wasn't terrible but wasn't you know like my favorite simpsons thing ever made yeah um the bob's burgers movie though to me is like the greatest episode that they've ever done and i i love it and i love the fact that it goes beyond the show and does something even more than the show and really kind of gets into some very emotional points and everything i i just i really really liked it i really responded well to that one okay well my Number 10 for 2022 is Black Panther, Wakanda Forever. Directed, screenplay, and story by Ryan Coogler based on the Marvel comics. It's a superhero film, of course, and it's starring Letitia Wright, Lupita Nyong'o, Denai Guerrera, um, Winston Duke, Florence Kasumba, Dominique Thorne, Michaela Cole, Tina Karatamea, um, Martin Freeman, Julia, Julia Louis-Dreyfus, and... Angela Bassett, the yeah. great Angela Bassett, which... Julia Louis-Dreyfus was the one that just threw me off. I didn't know she was going to be in there. I that was, one was a little surprising one. blue streak know, in her, her hair. Well, I think it was her, sort of purple. Oh, yeah, her purple streak in her hair, yeah. I think she had a purple streak. Yeah. Um, I, I, I really thoroughly enjoyed this one. Yeah. I think it was a great tribute to um, Chadwick Boseman. Yeah. Um, and they did mention him a lot, which I was surprised because I remember hearing that they didn't. They touched on it slightly, but yeah. they actually kind of honor him a lot throughout the film. They do, yeah. So I actually love that. And I also love the kind of powerfulness of the loss of family and how you can still come 
back yeah. even when you kind of feel alone a little bit because you know Letitia Wright's character of course yeah. she's the princess and so now she has someone else that passes away she has yeah. all she's she has all of these losses to become something really great yeah not that she wasn't already great I mean she's an amazing scientist I mean yeah and technologists and whatever else yeah. you want to call her um <laughs> so she was amazing and I yeah. thought it was a fun story to add somebody else you know to yeah. the cast um there was this um, new add-on, and she brought a lot of dynamic mm-hmm. to it, and and I loved it because it was a bunch of like beautiful, amazing, smart, and intelligent <laughs> black women yeah. that came together and were very smart and warriors and yeah. everything, man. So that was that's why that one's my top ten. That was it was good. I enjoyed it. Um, uh, it was, I was, I had a lot of admiration for them keeping the winged feet of Namor. <laughs> yeah. Something that I don't think that a lot of people would actually want to do. And Ryan Coogler did it anyway. And yeah. I, I thought that was cool. Uh, okay. Up next for my number nine slot, I got Crimes of the Future. Directed, written and directed by David Cronenberg. It was actually from a script that he had written way back when. Uh, I think it was like in the early 2000s, uh, around like 2003 called Painkillers, and this was kind of an update. Crimes of the Future is actually the title of a movie that he made before he had even made his first feature, Shivers. And he kind of repurposed the title. Here, the two works are not connected at all. Uh, He just kind of repurposed the title, and I think, you know, beautifully so. Uh, It features incredible performances from Viggo Mortensen, Leah Sado, Kristen Stewart, Scott Speedman. Um... I was I was just thoroughly impressed watching this movie. I I couldn't believe it. I was like, you know, we haven't had David Cronenberg around for a little bit. He wrote a book. His last movie was Maps to the Stars. He's been acting yeah. a lot. You know, I've seen some of the stuff that he's acted in. Um, he's done a couple of really wild short films, but I just was not expecting this movie. Like, I, I wasn't expecting it to be what it was. Mm-hmm. It is tremendously dark. Um, I would definitely warn anybody who's going into it that, you know, uh, if you don't deal well with violent content or, you know, kind of extreme cinema to definitely, you know, spoil the movie for yourself before you watch it and understand what it's about a little bit before you get into it. Mm -hmm. Um, but if you like David Cronenberg and his work, you kind of already know what you're in for. If you like his body horror stuff, I, I just, I don't know. I was so taken with this movie. Yeah. Um, I don't really know how you felt about it. I could see you squirming over next to me, but like, uh, (laughs) I don't know. It it really, it really did something for me. So I, I really loved it. Okay. And then my number nine was the woman King. It is a historical action drama film about the Ajoji, the all female warrior unit that protected the West African kingdom of Dahomey during the 17th through the 19th centuries. Um, it was directed by Gina Prince Bythewood, a screenplay by Dana Stevens, and story by Maria Bello and Dana Stevens. Um, it's starring Viola Davis, Thuso Bedu, uh, Lashana Lynch, Sheila Atim, Hero Fames Tiffin, and Jen Boyega. So I really enjoyed this one because this yeah. was like a full like empowerment kind of like. Yeah. I love seeing all these amazing women like 
becoming warriors mm-hmm. and what they had to like go through yeah. the testing and all those things that they had to go through just to get where they are, especially by Ola Davis character, because think about all that she went through and then she was named the woman king. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Love it. Love yeah. it. Love it. It was so empowering for me. Yeah. And it just, it just gave me some great inspiration on a lot of things. And it shows me how powerful we can be, whether as one or together, yeah. because she really went through a lot. To become a woman king. Yeah. And, she, and rightfully deserved. Yeah. I mean, when you see what she went through, rightfully deserved. And she was an amazing, amazing leader. Yeah. And so that was my number nine. I The only comment that I have on this movie is that Viola Davis makes me feel so lazy. I know. When I watch this movie. The fact that she's, what, 52, 53? Yes. And, and for her like, to be get it like that the uh, training she went through like come on i was watching her do those stunts in the movie and i was like i am so lazy yeah (laughs) (laughs) i was like it's a chore for me to just take a walk around the street you know and like here she is performing these unbelievable stunts you know like she's in her 20s yeah um yeah that was a it was a very cool movie yes um so my number eight slot is Park Chan Wook's decision to leave. Um, I, I this was just a movie that I knew was going to be on my top ten from the moment that it was announced. I love Park Chan Wook as a director. Uh, I've been following his career kind of since he sort of started taking off in the West with uh, sympathy for Mr. Vengeance, but in particular Old Boy, which still is one of the most mind bending experiences i've ever had with a film um i i was excited for this one it's uh it's not my favorite of his Mm -hmm. you know it was um it was not a disappointing follow-up to the handmaiden which i really really loved that came out a few years back but it was a um a very different movie for him uh the thing that surprised me was you know about an hour into the movie i was so conflicted about their love for each other yeah you so know, on one level, I wanted the two main characters to just completely make that decision to leave. You know, uh, like on one level, I wanted him to make the decision to leave his wife mm-hmm. and her to make the decision to leave, you know, the the kinds of men that she normally goes after. Um, but then on another level, I, I didn't want them to at all. It was It, it just created a whole conflicting series of emotions inside of me over those two hours. And I was just enthralled with that. I'm, um, I'm very, very upset that we just mentioned two movies that did not get nominations at all this year. You know, I'm, I'm shocked the decision to leave did not get an editing nomination or a international picture nomination. And I'm shocked that Viola Davis wasn't nominated for, uh, actress, but, um, yeah, you know, I mean, it it happens. The Academy sucks sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so for your number eight. For my number eight, it is The Benchies of Inner Sharon. Yeah. Um, it's a dark, tragic comedy. The film is directed, written, and produced, co-produced by Martin McDonough. It's, it's set on a remote island off the west coast of Ireland. The film stars Colin Farrell and Brendan um, Gleeson. It is also has Carrie Condon and Barry Keegan. Yeah in there as well and it's about two lifelong friends who find themselves at an impasse when one abruptly ends their relationship yeah. with alarming consequences <laughs> for both of them 
So this one was amazing. I love this movie. I thought this one it was, was so amazing. fucking good. It was. It's fucking good. <laughs> it had so many amazing, like... The amount of times now that I look at something, I just go, you're all fucking boring. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it just had some amazing moments. And it had a lot to say in there. It did, And yeah. some of the other things that it had to say was very unanswered. Like, there were so yeah. many questions and things were unanswered, but you had to be okay. Yep. I think that's what I got out of this film yeah. more than anything, is that you had to be okay with not always having yeah. a direct answer for things. Some people change and they grow and they want something different. Yeah. And when they stop talking to you, be okay. Yeah. Be okay with that because sometimes it's not always about you. It's about them. Yeah. And there, there's so don't this... take it so personally. And I know it was sad because Colin Farrell did in the in the film. He kind of took it personal a little bit. So yeah. he wanted his friend back. And he was just like, why aren't you talking to me? Yeah. And I just found that amazing. And Brendan Gleeson just like really taught me just like, no, but you got to be okay with just being okay with me not wanting this anymore. I yeah. want something else. You know, I want my time devoted to something I love. So if this, if you're not part of it, then you won't be part of it. Yeah. And, you know, I think that the idea of talking about the the realities of time yeah. at a, a certain age in your life is was just tremendous. Yeah. That, you know, like... And there's just times where you have to just um, weed out what's priority and what's not. Yeah. And then, you know, the... The whole entire aspect of, you know, it fighting with these two questions, yeah. uh, one being, is there such thing as too late? And the other being, no, I'm definitively saying that there is such thing as too late. Yeah. And I just thought that was unbelievable that he, he did that in such a way that, you know, you, you really, it's not in the text, it's all subtext, mm -hmm. but at the same time, it's so on the front that it makes you think about these things even if you don't look at movies critically even if you don't think about subtext and films it's so present and so prevalent with these characters actions that you can't help but to think about them not only that but you know what it teaches me something is that are we are any of us okay with being alone yeah yeah because they're on this remote island and yeah. then all of a sudden they decide not to be friends anymore. Yeah. That's double the whammy of loneliness. Yeah. So you can either choose to move on somewhere else and create a whole new life or you can stay there and just be okay. Yeah. And so that was a really interesting dynamic for me. It was. It was amazing. And it was exciting to see Martin McDonough, Brendan Gleeson, and Colin Farrell team back up. Yeah. Now, what was interesting for me is we watched in Bruges a yes. few months before. And so I was, loved it. I loved it. Bruges. That was my like first time that seeing was your it all the way through. Seeing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because I had seen bits and pieces okay, in the past. Yeah. But that was my first time seeing it like full length all the way through. Yeah. And I thought it was amazing. And it was amazing to revisit now that's that movie. a spiritual like brother and sister movie like that's a <laughs> yeah, spiritual they're totally connected yes um i i just i love seeing them all come back together and it was so exciting but you know there was also everybody's older now mm -hmm. so there was a slight melancholy about the announcement yes. and then that melancholy was it just presided over the entire picture yeah and i i just loved it and um man Carrie Condon, I can't wait to see what she's going to do next. Yeah. It, she has been in the wings for a long time as an actor. Mm -hmm. We were just calling her out in an old episode of Walking Dead not too long ago after we watched the movie. Um, I'm so excited to see what she's going to be 
doing next. I yeah. mean, she was unbelievable in the movie, and I, I don't know. Yeah, I loved it. Yes. Also, Martin McDonough, for anybody who does not know this, looks a hell of a lot like Sting. He does. So he if, favors if Sting you don't know lot. what Martin McDonough looks like, go yeah. and look him up and look at a picture of Sting, and they're the same Incom- person. <laughs> <laughs> They are fun fact. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so for my number seven slot, I got Apollo Ten and a Half, A Space Age Childhood. It's a film written and directed by Richard Linklater, starring Glenn Powell, Zachary Levi, Jack Black. You know, the Jack Black uh, is really just the voice of the main character as an older man. Yeah, he's the narrator. narrator. Yeah, he's the narrator. Um, this was a movie done with a similar animation style to Richard Linklater's previous films, Waking Life and A Scanner Darkly. Um, I just love this movie. I, I just really love this movie. There's something about it. It reminds me a lot of how I grew up and the area that I grew up in. And there's just something about kind of um, the, the fact that there's always something going on outside of your life as a child that you have awareness of, but simultaneously don't. Yeah. And the aspect of being at a certain age where, you know, fantasy and reality collide, Mm -hmm. you know, did he really do this mission Mm -hmm. or was it just a summer daydream? Yeah. You know, what, what, you know, like there are just these little aspects of that film that really, really touched me and just kind of similar to the Bob's Burgers movie was like a very, very needed kind of, um, uplift and yeah it makes you dream big it does so young in life too that's another amazing point that it made is it it allows you to dream big at such a young age so never stop dreaming yeah um and then i i mean also too it can also be looked at as an escape because he had a really big family he did and there was a lot going on yeah so i think that was also a way of escape yeah and you know you have the aspect of his dad who works for NASA, but mm-hmm. is essentially a, you know, he pushes papers. Yeah, he pushes as, paper and he wishes dad d- did more. Yeah. And I think that was him going, yeah. I can do more. Yeah. You, you know? know, the whole entire idea of him going, you know, it, it has this element of like, you know, a kid that wants to be in the movies that has a family member, you know, a father or mother who is also in the movies, but all they really do is like, you know, just paperwork or they're like a receptionist at an office. Yeah. But in your head, you're like, I might have a way in, but your way in goes from zero to 60. It's not, I can work in the mail room. It's like, no, I can be a 10 year old astronaut, astronaut. <laughs> <laughs> which is so true of that time in your life. Yes. It and is. you know, I also love the entire uh, aspect of like the counterculture being, you know, kind of slowly invading the neighborhood and the way that the parents look at that and everything, just everything about this movie was something that um, really, really, really struck me and that I could really, you know, relate to and was, you know, it, it, it it's sort of um, nostalgia in a way that only Richard Linklater can do. You know, when you look at Days and Confused and Boyhood and yeah. everybody wants some, you know, he has a, even, you know, his romantic films with the Before trilogy. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes, and those were beautiful. I love those. He has a way of touching nostalgia in a way where it's not it's not a commodity. Mm-hmm. It's just a reality of our life. Mm-hmm. And he, he talks about lazy days. Yeah. And that's the reality of nostalgia. That's mm-hmm. really what, at least for me. Yeah, that, me too. Nostalgia for me is not really wanting to go back to my old comic books. It's the lazy days where I was laying around 
with comic books all around me. Yeah. You know, that's and that that's, was just your interest and passion for the moment. Yeah, because they they're never long lasting, but yeah. they're they're a time in history. They're a point. They are, know? and you know the fact that he's able to always so effortless, effortlessly go back to that yes. in such a beautiful way is always astounding to me. So very irritated that this doesn't qualify for animated picture because I definitely think it should have. But can you tell us why? Uh, the Academy has an issue. It takes issue with the idea of rotoscoping. Okay. They, they don't uh, acknowledge rotoscoping as a real form of animation. This movie was only partially rotoscoped, unlike uh, Scanner Darkly and especially Waking Life. Mm -hmm. um, but they still looked at it as a rotoscope movie and they don't acknowledge that as real animation. Oh, wow. And uh, I think that that's a BS excuse. I think that uh, rotoscoping, uh, whether you do it fully or even partially, is just as legitimate a form of animation, filmmaking, and storytelling as anything else. Yes, it is. And okay. I, I just I was like, that's so stupid. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And my number seven for my top ten is The Stranger. Yeah. It is an Australian psychological crime thriller. Um, it was directed and written by Tom Wright. It's based on the book The Sting, the undercover operation that caught Daniel Marcombe's killer. Um, it was uh, starring Joel Edgerton, Sean Harris, and Jada Alberts. Now, this one was pretty amazing to me. This one's awesome. I mean, for one, I love the tone of the film. Yeah. Like, sometimes the tone just takes it all the way there, and then yeah. you're kind of, you kind of dive in with the tone. Um, and this one just had this really, like, just beautiful but very desert-like kind of widespread. Like, it's almost like you're far out. Yeah, yeah. It feels very, like, like yeah. everybody is so spread out. Yeah. And there's a, a loneliness in it, but yeah. there's also this beauty of knowing who you are in it as well. Yeah. And you can get lost. That's what I loved about it, too, is that feeling that you can get lost in it. As well as in the film, how he gets lost because he gets to change his name. He gets to be Sean Harris' character. And he yeah. gets to be a different person everywhere he goes because he has a history of crime. Yeah. And he's created all these problems wherever he went. Yeah. And so he had to start over everywhere. That was the thing about this film that I love, too, is everywhere he went, he had to start over. Yeah. Because he created, like, chaos in wherever he went. And this one was based on the fact that Joel Edgerton character had to come in and go under it. was a sting operation where he had to go undercover and befriend this man who they were trying to get to pin a murder on a young boy that had came up missing. Yeah. Um, and so there were so many like red flags and like signals and details that led them to the killer. And it was awesome because it's also a story about trust like who you can really trust too because once he joel edgerton and sean harris character were close together sean harris felt like he could divulge some of like his inner dark secrets much like blackbird actually yeah that's what i liked about blackbird too yeah. is like you yeah, like, very similar stories yes, I, I didn't even think about that until just now yes yeah, they right. were very intertwined where you befriend this person for information but it's yeah. for the good but you you realize who you're befriending as well because yeah. they seem very charming or quiet or, you know, on the outside. And then when you get to know them, there's this dark side to everyone yeah. you see that. So I thought that was an amazing film. I, if there was an award for best scene of the year, mm -hmm. I think this movie would win it. Mm -hmm. um, 
there is the moment, and I, I love this movie. I love Australian movies in general. This one almost made my list. Um, mm -hmm. It was like, if I could do a tie, this one would be on definitely be on my list. But I, I we can't do ties, so you know. <laughs> but um, you know, uh, there's this scene in the film where Sean Harris brings Joel Edgerton back to his house and plays a song mm -hmm. for him and starts dancing yeah. in front of him, and. When that scene came up, I understand that scene would maybe be uncomfortable for some people because it is kind of an awkward thing. It just broke my heart yeah. watching that scene and the way that it's performed between those two guys. Yeah. And you see Sean Harris and his performance really opening up to this guy in a way that he probably never has before in his entire life. And you see Joel Edgerton witnessing that and knowingly witnessing it and it just, just quietly killing him. I was just like, this is unbelievable. Yeah. I cannot believe that they captured this so beautifully. Um, and then, you know, the fact that they, they did something so perfect, which is a major spoiler alert, but uh, that they mention, and it's that moment where you realize this perfect casting beyond all compare, where they mention the way that this guy stood and the, this one witness said, I remember how he stood. He almost looked like a stork. Yeah. And then at the end, the way that you see Sean Harris stands. And that was the major slip up. And, That's all they needed. It was that major slip up that let us and, know as an audience, yep, you got the right guy. And it was it was one of those things where you, you looked at that and it just like the way that the movie implants things into your mind. Yeah. And kind of like incepts you, yeah, <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you know, the way that it, it does it is, is so brilliant and so beautiful. And that moment where you see his leg up, it was just like, wow. And by the way, you can actually, uh, catch the stranger on Netflix. Yep. Um, where did we see the woman King? The Woman King, uh, we rented off Apple plus. Okay. We rented it. Yeah. And then of course, Black Panther is in theaters. Yep. Um, the Banshees of Inisherin, I think it's on HBO Max. It's on HBO, yeah. So those and are some of the things that you can catch up on these. Yeah, and Bob's Burgers is on uh, HBO Max. Crimes of the Future is on Hulu. Decision to Leave is on Mubi. Uh, Apollo Ten and a Half is on Netflix. So yeah, yeah we most of these movies, thankfully now, are relatively easy to see. I think Black Panther is going to be on Disney Plus on yeah, February first, I believe. Yeah, so basically within less than a week. Yeah, yeah. Um, so for my number six slot, uh -huh. I have, uh, another movie of nostalgia, uh, that a director, <laughs> the director going back and mining his own childhood with Armageddon time written and directed by James Gray. It stars, uh, Anne Hathaway, Jeremy Strong, Banks Rapetta, Jalen Webb, and Anthony Hopkins, uh, with beautiful cinematography by Darius Kanji. Um, I, I just, I love James Gray. I mean, like there's, it's very rare that he, I don't think he's ever really made a film that I didn't like. I mean, I was, um, I, I was kind of like, oh, okay with Ad Astra, but, uh, every other film that he's ever made has been a movie that just kind of blew my mind in some way or another. Um, Armageddon Time is one of those movies where I was watching and I just, I couldn't just tear my eyes away from the screen even long enough to blink. I mean, it, it just really, really captured me. Um, it is a 
some of the conversations that the movie has about identity and about you know social status and place mm-hmm. are I think uh, incredible conversations for things that we're looking at in the world right now. Yeah. Um, it, it's also though just a great film to watch an Anthony Hopkins performance that'll pull you up and break your heart at the same time. Yes, as well as uh, um, The Secession. What's his name? Uh, Jeremy Strong, yeah. Yeah, Jeremy it, Strong from The Secession. Jeremy Strong, who comes in with an unbelievable performance, sounds exactly <laughs> like James Gray, looks a little bit like him, too, in his performance. Uh, the, there is a moment in the film in which uh, the main character, a uh, young kid, gets in trouble and uh, Jeremy Strong kicks in the door and comes in to give him the belting of a lifetime. The the uh, belting that if you were a kid that got belted is a belting that you know all too well. It is that one of like, <laughs> oh, I, have, I am in trouble. And it goes from that to something far darker. Yeah. And, you know, at first watching it you're kind of like oof I yeah. Hate, yeah I know exactly what's coming <laughs> and then it goes so far over that it's really really painful and hard to watch yes it is because and, it's also about be careful about what we teach our children and yeah. what perception we give them as well because yeah. even the young man who was friends with the young yeah. black boy, yeah, he didn't have that perception. Yeah. It was the adults around him and other that kids that had were, did that had actually learned that behavior yeah. from the adults they were around that yeah. actually put that perception into his head. So it was so sad that after a while, like when he first met the young black kid, he was he was just there was it, no bias there. There was no color. There was involved. no color involved. He just he just befriended him. Yeah, and then as the world around him began to began around to put both of them really yeah around yeah. both of them began to put like thoughts and perceptions yeah. of their own views into their heads you saw how it changed a young man yeah so that was really unfortunate it was and it was it was a a beautiful way to talk about something that i don't think very many filmmakers really um want to talk about because of course there is supposed to be an aspect of or at least there is a view that there is supposed to be an aspect that film is also an entertainment I found this movie incredibly entertaining. Yes, it was just as entertaining as it was beautiful yeah. and a beautifully told story that yeah. actually needed to be told. So I, I agree, and but it also it it touched on a conversation that very few people really like touching on, which is the aspect of at a certain age you don't really put any consideration to who your friends are. You like each other for each other, mm-hmm. and then, like you said, as the world invades that space, yeah. Because they come in and try to tell you who you should be or what you should think and yep. the way you should feel. And then that plays a major part in how you start to perceive things. Yeah. And uh, also, weirdly, I just realized there's that weird connection to NASA in this movie also. Okay. Kids. Oh, who are, he yeah. was. Because he said his brother. The, uh, yeah. The character yep. I believe Jalen Webb plays. Yep. His, yeah. Uh-huh. His, his brother is working for NASA. And yep. so he has these NASA batches throughout it. Um it was just an unbelievable movie. Yeah. I mean, this movie really, really just like kind of just lit my brain on fire in a great way. So yeah. and, uh, the moment in which Anthony Hopkins talks to him about that whole thing yeah. and, and says, you know, like when, when somebody comes and says something about the you young black them. kids, you defend them. You, you don't do them. this, you know, and because I, he knows I how it is as a Jewish man himself, yeah. how people judge them just based yep. off 
nationality and ethnicity. Yeah. So he was just like, no, don't do that. You stand up for them. When yeah. everybody else is fighting against them, you stand up for and, them. And, you know, the fact that he he talks about that in context of something else that you discover in the story that, you know, they... These, this is a family who changed their name. They they mm-hmm. did something to rid themselves of their identity on paper so that they could have a fair chance, ha- have a fair chance in, in this country. And, and, and unfortunately, black people aren't able to do that yeah. because no matter how much we change up our names, yeah. our color will always be there. Yeah. So, yeah. It, it's a it, it's a fascinating conversation and yeah. incredible view on it. So I, I really, really love this movie. Okay. Yep. Um, my number six. It's the Sea Beast. Yeah. Um, it is a computer animated film, adventure film, directed by Chris Williams. Um, it's starring Carl Urban, Zara's Angel Hater, Jared Harris, uh, Marianne Jean Baptiste. So I like this one. Yeah. Uh, it tells the story of a sea monster hunter and a young orphan girl who joins his group of sea monster hunters on their search for the elusive red bluster. Yeah. So I love this one. It was so was fun. fun. Yeah. It was beautiful too because this actually ties into Armageddon time because yeah. if you really think about it, it was this young orphan girl who talks about her family and how they were hunters and they had to they end up dying, right? Mm-hmm. So she got put into a foster home and then or an orphanage and then she ends up wanting to when she was old enough, she left the orphanage and she ended up wanting to join a like ship of hunters yeah um and because that's what her legacy was that was her parents career that was their job and that was their life yeah because in those moments those are not your job and careers those actually that's your life yeah um and so at the end to me what's so great about this is that she ends up teaching adults how to see the world through unbiased eyes yeah and that's what i loved about this film like it was this girl that has so much heart and so much hope and so much optimism and she befriended something that everybody else was afraid of yeah do you get what i'm saying like i love stories like that they're so inspiring because she befriended something everybody else was afraid of and was trying to kill because they were afraid but if you really got a chance to know the red bluster it was not harmful at all it's just like us it's friendly unless we feel threatened you came into my home which is the sea and you decided to kill me when this is my home. Yeah. How crazy is that? Yeah. I didn't come on your land. Yeah. I didn't take over your home. Yeah. But somehow you thought you were going to come on the sea and kill me. And, you know, it's interesting that there's that connection with Avatar as well. Yeah. There's a very similar story within that that, in my opinion, was not dealt with as well as the Sea Beast. Yeah. Um, but... Yeah, no, the Sea Beast. This was, was so a fun amazing. movie, man. And that little yeah. girl just had so much life and hope and heart she in did. her that she just, she made me the same little girl inside. I was just so giddy through the whole movie. <laughs> so I thought it was just an amazing storytelling. Yeah. Very amazing, amazing, amazing. Yeah, fantastic movie. Fantastic call out. And uh, uh, very glad to see this one get the nomination yes. this year for animated. Um, so my number five is a movie you also have on your list. So I'm just going to kind of skim over it and then we'll talk about it when it comes up to you. My number five is the Fablemans. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, Steven Spielberg's new movie. Um, we'll talk about it more when we get to yours, but I, I love this movie. I mean, yeah. Yes. And I also have to do the same thing. I'll pass it to you because my number five is Nope. Yeah. And yours is a little further up than yeah. mine. So, um, yeah, I'll let you talk about that one. Uh, my number four is another one I'm going to pass back to you, <laughs> which is, uh, Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio. Um, yeah. 
The only thing I will say about this movie right now is I have been waiting since this got announced, and I think it was like 2007-ish, 2008, maybe uh, like somewhere around there. Mm-hmm. Um, I could begin that slightly wrong. Um, this was announced a while back as something Guillermo del Toro was doing. I knew it was a passion project of his. He would bring it up every once in a while in interviews. I'm a huge Guillermo del Toro fan. Uh, and so I was very excited for this. And then we watched it and I like the end just wrecked me beyond all compare. But yeah. we'll get back to that one. Okay. Um, and so then I have a pass, another one to you <laughs> as well. Because we have similar Yeah, our lists. top five are pretty close yeah, to one another. So we're, we're giving it to the person that has it higher on their list. Yeah. This is why we're kind of playing checkers i guess <laughs> with our top Hot 10 potato yeah <laughs> so um my number four yeah. is um is that black enough for you directed and written by elvis mitchell yeah so he is a film critic um and yeah i mean i was really amazed by this one as well yeah so this is actually my number three okay so we'll go ahead and just talk about it yeah um is that black enough for you is again is something that i've been hearing a filmmaker in this case a film critic mm-hmm. uh threatened for a long time to to bring to us and i've been so excited for him to finally do something about this mm-hmm. uh which is elvis mitchell um if you don't know who elvis mitchell is and you like podcasts go and check out his show the treatment it's a uh, uh, a kcrw show out of santa monica um, he's been doing that show for years. You can find all the archives uh, online. The treatment is essentially um, him interviewing. Uh, you know, it started as predominantly filmmakers, but over the years, he's expanded into all kinds of people. You know, I mean, he he brings in people who are just involved in culture. You know, and he brings like culture critics, and he brings in. You know, uh, Mark Bridges did an incredible uh, interview with him about Phantom Thread and mm-hmm. the. Uh, costumes and kind of thread uh i have been listening to elvis mitchell talk and watching him when he had an ifc show for like as long as i can remember and uh he is just a genuine hero of mine and uh, he wanted to make this film that talked about his relationship to black cinema in particular uh a time in the you know kind of mid to late 60s into the early 70s in which there was this boom with what we you know kind of um uh consider black exploitation films mm-hmm. and you know of course there is both a positive and a negative common connotation to that term that he talks about you know in the in the film um there was a period in which we suddenly had um films sometimes by black filmmakers, sometimes by white filmmakers in the case of something like coffee directed by Jack Hill, a white director. Um, we had films in which black actors and actresses were the powerful stars. They were not, you know, it, it wasn't gone with the wind where they were slaves who were happy to be slaves. It was not, you know, a movie where they, they were, you know, the help, in any way that, you know, it was like coffee is Pam Greer as a badass undercover agent who's beating the shit out of everybody. And yeah. it's amazing. <laughs> and he, he made this film that really kind of dissects, you know, the, the rise of these films and then the very strange and sudden disappearance of them. Yeah. And also the impact they had on, uh, film, Mm-hmm. I guess, like you said, long term, because yeah. a lot of the things that they did, like soundtrack, 
You yep. remember how they said they would play these really top hit yeah. on a lot of the black exploitation films, and yeah. then later, Most later of them were written for those films, yes, yeah. and later and Hollywood been, adopted that, and actually yeah. that became a staple for all movies. Yeah, and you know, I mean, like the the amount of things that you see that we now consider standard, even looking at this year, right? Because mm-hmm. I mean, like two of the movies that we've talked about today, um, Avatar: Way of Water, and uh, and even Top Gun, which we mentioned, mm-hmm. and Black Panther, all have original songs that are currently right now nominated. Hits. Yeah, yeah, they're they're nominated, but they were also radio hits. Yeah. You know, it may if there is radio still, they were they were on the top of the charts. However, that works today. Yeah. Um, but that was that was a thing that really was built up by these films, you know, by by films like Shaft, by mm-hmm. films uh, that you know they they would bring in somebody like Quincy Jones or Isaac Hayes to do the music for. Yes, that was um, awesome, 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 awesome. And it, it was really, really unbelievable to watch this film and to see him uh, watch as he he opened up a a conversation that will really kind of give you an, an, a different kind of critical view on films, uh, you know, if you want to go down that rabbit hole. But even if you don't want to go down that rabbit hole, it's a film that I would recommend to anybody just to expose them to films that people have largely forgotten about. You know, unless you're obsessed with cinema and wanting to sit down and do a two-hour podcast about movies, largely people don't think about the existence of these films and that's very sad to me, you know, like I, I want to see a resurgence of films like this. And I, I think it was great that he spotlighted them. Yeah, they were awesome. Um, so now you're number three. Yes, my number three is what you passed back to me, which was The Fablemans. Yes. Um, and it's the coming of age drama film directed um, by Steven Spielberg. It was also co-wrote and co-produced by Tony Kushner. Um, it is starring Michelle Williams, Paul Dano, Seth Rogen, Gabrielle LaBelle, and Judd Hirsch. Now, this one was pretty cool, though, because yeah. it has some amazing, amazing elements. And, of course, Steven Spielberg, his storytelling is just top-notch. It's, like, amazing. Yeah. Um, and I really, really enjoyed this film. I loved it because as a young kid myself... This is what I wanted. Like, yeah. like he he was living a dream and going through the process of learning film and all those different things in the way that I've always wanted to. And it was really amazing story. I mean, honestly, if I'm being really completely honest, I think we missed the mark with Paul Dano as I, someone I who was nominated. Agree. Yeah, like yeah. he should have been someone who was nominated yeah. for um actor. Yeah. In a major role. Yeah. Like in like yeah. he should have been he should have been nominated. I'm i I'm sorry. He really yeah, should have. He should have. And Seth Rogan did a pretty good job. And yeah, he I did. think he should have had a nomination for supporting an actor. Yeah. Um, so that was some of my take on it. But it was yeah. it's a really amazing story. It is. You know, I think, you know, when you mentioned the Paul Dano thing, of course Michelle Williams is getting a lot of love when it comes to nominations. Yes. Deservedly so. She's incredible in the film. Mm-hmm. I, I think one of the things is that, you know, because her character, if you don't know much about Spielberg's life, if you're coming into this as a film that you're just watching because you heard it was a sweet movie, um, her character can come off as eccentric with a capital E. Yeah. Um that's not really the reality of her. You know, if you go in knowing a little bit about Spielberg, you know that it was a little bit more complicated than that. Mm-hmm. But it, that oftentimes is rewarded a lot quicker 
when it comes to nominations than somebody who can come in and be the gravitational center yeah. of a film. And that was really what Paul Dano was in that he movie. He was, but he was so amazing because the way he supported his son, but at the same time, you can always see this clash because he didn't think it was yeah. viable. He didn't yeah. think it was a viable like career, a, 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 like something that could like raise his family and financially be stable to raise a family on. Yeah. He didn't think that, but at the same time, you could still see the support there. Yeah, absolutely. And then later... He had to realize that your the way you love films is the same way I love building building like computers and their applications and how they function and how they work with us in an everyday society and in work life. Like once he saw that they weren't much different, yeah. that's when I think he this he finally decided to like accept the fact that his son was just as much of a creator and yeah. talented as he was. Yeah. And, you know, it's fascinating. So we were, we just talked about Steven Spielberg yes. on our previous episode. And we mentioned that we were going to kind of round back to something very interesting, which is, you know, we were talking about where the world's and the aspect of dealing with divorce is that this film definitely, you know, and I mentioned that some people kind of have been sort of iffy on this movie and I understand why. And What's very interesting is watching somebody who has, for the bulk of their career, when he has talked about his parents' divorce, the way he has talked about it was that his dad just kind of left. Mm -hmm. And that then there was this clash between the two of them. And the perception that I think, for the most part, we've had was that, you know, he left and then, you know, he was kind of with his mom dealing with the scraps of, you know, his, his dad taking off. Seeing the film, and it is a spoiler alert, but like seeing the film and realizing that the reality was that his his mother uh, had actually cheated on his father. Yeah. With his father's best friend. Yep. And, and to a degree, his father knew and kind he, of accepted it. He accepted That's it. The thing. And then, you know, there's, I, I highly recommend going and listening to some interviews with Spielberg about this film. He did a really good one with Paul Thomas Anderson. Um, he you know, has kind of talked about the fact that, you know, when his dad left, uh, you know, his mom left and remarried and remarried to his dad's best friend. And his dad kind of never really, you know, he, it, from what he says, you know, it doesn't really even seem like he ever had another relationship. And when asked why later in his life, he kind of said, well, I, your mother still needs me. You know, nobody else is really there for her in a way that I need to be. To watch Paul Dano embody that and take that on was just breathtaking. Yes, it was. I, and it was it was unbelievable. I, I just watching just the looks that he had on his face throughout that movie were just so pain inducing yes, throughout the was. entire thing that I, I've it's very rare that you see anybody do anything like that. I mean and then, you know, even all the way down to the way that Spielberg dealt with certain things, like the score in the film, mm -hmm. we're sitting there watching a movie we're what 40 minutes yeah. into the movie maybe and, and that was I, the first time we heard and i realized I, I looked over at you it was right when she's dancing in mm -hmm. the car and i realized i was like this is the first bit of score in the whole movie it that is unbelievable for a spielberg movie yeah. you know when we think about the iconic scores of like jaws and all these yeah, other jurassic movies park jurassic park and we think about how the music is the movie just as much as the movie is the movie yeah I, the way he dealt with this movie was with so much care the the you know, incredible Tony Kushner, the great, great playwright Tony Kushner coming in and, you know, 
building out scenes just so beautifully with these characters was just unbelievable. Yes, unbelievable. And, you know, we went and saw it in the theater and the movie ended and we sat there and looked at each other and we're just like, I could sit, sit here and, and watch, watch this all again. over again. Because if it would have started like all over, I would, we would have sat there and watched it back yeah. to back. Um, also quick shout out before we move on to our last two, uh, to David Lynch showing up in the movie and ex- <laughs> he plays John Ford in the yes. film Showing up in the movie and explaining the horizon line. Yes. Um, so, funnily enough, we ended up seeing Avatar and Black Panther after the Fablemans. Mm-hmm. And through both of those movies, the entire time, I found myself annoyed that I realized that the horizon was in the center of the frame for the vast majority of both of those movies. Yeah. And, yes, I, and I found myself going, thinking to myself in the voice of David Lynch, it's boring as shit. <laughs> <laughs> and essentially, uh, you know, his horizon line theory was, uh, which was told to Steven Spielberg or John Ford as a kid, was that if the horizon is, the, is at the top of the frame, it's interesting. If it's at the bottom of the frame, it's interesting. If it's in the middle of the frame, it's boring as shit. Yeah. And that was his <laughs> explanation, and now it's slightly ruined some big movies for me. <laughs> um, so we're on number two? Yes. So my number two pick is uh, the sequel to a movie that we called out during our honorable mentions is Pearl. Uh, written and directed by Ty West, it is the prequel film to X. Uh, it stars Mia Goth. Um, I am just totally enamored with this movie. This is another She's one. Amazing. She I is. love Mia Goth in this. I like really do. And there was a few films where she stood out to me, but in this one, it's just really awesome. Yeah. Uh, Mia Goth uh, shares a co-writing credit for mm-hmm. this film. Um, this is just, I mean, even Martin Scorsese came out and championed this movie. Mm-hmm. Would, I mean, and I think he's correct in his, you know, analysis of it. You mm-hmm. know, he kind of said the movie starts, the movie is a uh, just kind of unabashed love of cinema. Mm-hmm. You know, it's made from that perspective. And it is, um, it starts as being enthralling. And by the end of it, you might have a hard time sleeping. Yeah, you know? and it's a disturbing in a very demented and twisted way yeah. of um, common, almost like the Wizard of Oz. Yeah, uh, almost like a, yeah, they, I think they even describe the movie as like a demented Disney movie. <laughs> That's and what it is. It, it's it like a demented that. version, upside down, twisted version of Wizard of Oz. Yeah. That's what it reminded me and of. And it's, uh, it's a beautifully photographed movie. You know, they chose to do this thing. Uh, I, I believe Elliot Rocket is the name of the cinematographer. Um, the uh, They chose to do this thing where... They tried to, to some degree or another, emulate or imitate three-strip Technicolor. Mm-hmm. They did a beautiful job with they it. They did, because they looked gorgeous. It really did. And, you know, the just the, the various aspects of this movie, you know, from the performances to the production design to the way that they chose to do something that was fascinating and unbelievably smart to me, which was, you know, I mean, they shot the movie with COVID restrictions, and their way of dealing with it was to set it during the Spanish influenza outbreak. And so throughout the movie, you see people wearing cloth masks. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, you, there's this constant fear that is sitting over the movie of getting sick. Mm-hmm. And it, it was just unbelievable the way they chose to deal with those things. My moment in that movie is Mia Goth delivering a near eight-minute monologue with no cuts where it just stays on her face. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I don't understand how she's not 
in the running for best actress. <laughs> she even made a comment about it recently that she was like, you know, part of it is that they don't really acknowledge horror movies. And that's true. And I think it's BS. And I, I, I just, um, I love this movie. I can't wait to watch it again. I will likely own it on Blu-ray <laughs> and I cannot wait for the third one, Maxine to see what they got up their sleeves for the 1980s. Yes. And my number two, is Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio. Yes. Um, it was directed, the screenplay and the story is by Guillermo del Toro, um, directed by Mark Gustafson, a screenplay by uh, Patrick McHill and Guillermo del Toro, and the story by Matthew Robbins and Guillermo del Toro. Yep. It is based on the adventures of Pinocchio by Carlo Collati, illustrations by Gris Grimley, um, and it's starring Ewan McGregor, uh, David Bradley, Gregory Mann, Bern Gorman, Run Perlman, John Totoro, Finn Wolfert, Kate Blanchett, um, Tim Blake Nelson, Christopher Walsh, and Tilton Swinton. So they had a really amazing cast of voices. Yeah. Um, In particular, Ian McGregor as J.R. Cricket yeah. also narrates the film. Yes. So it was really amazing. I really love this one. And there was something that Guillermo Madero Toro said for the Golden Globes when he accepted the award for Pinocchio for the best animation or best animated film, um, was he said, you know, no, this is not a film for children. Yeah. He's like, it's okay if you parents, you want to watch it with your children. But no, he said animation to him is just another medium to tell a story. Yep. And so all animation, right. yes, because all animation doesn't have to be. Yeah child like for children it doesn't yeah. have to be because adults love that same thing and this was one of the ones for me that really stood out as an adult i loved love love this animated film yeah me too i it's one of those movies where you know it for me there are not enough great things you can say about this movie in the english language no, like it is just it is such a beautiful 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 movie and it's an incredible passion project by a guy who is incredibly passionate about movies. Yes. You, and know, you know, and about... another fun fact is how long he took yeah. to make it. Yeah. Remember, he, it took like, wouldn't he say the yeah. production of it started it, it was, was so 2013 I, or something like that? It, it was a really long time. Yeah, I'm trying to remember when his first announcement of it was. But um, yeah, he. Th this was one of those movies that... We had all been hearing about, if you're a fan of Guillermo del Toro, you've been hearing about this movie for years. Yeah, um, See, yeah, it was the film was originally announced in 2008, 2008. aimed yeah. for a 2013 or 2014 release. Yep. That is crazy, and, but it's just now being released yeah. in 2022. And that was, uh, you know, kind of what I was saying earlier is like, I, re I remember it being announced around then and it being this thing that kept coming up. You know, he would, every time he did an interview, there were, two movies that he would always bring up um kind of three ish mm -hmm. he would always bring up at the mountains of madness i still hope i hope 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 that <laughs> netflix will say here's a blank check guillermo yeah give us mountains of madness we've been yeah. waiting for it for years yeah I, I if it happens i'm gonna be so excited but like he's been talking about that one he's been Every once in a while, mentioning a, an adaptation of Frankenstein that he's been interested in. And of course, Frankenstein is like his monster hero in his life. Mm -hmm. And then Pinocchio. Mm -hmm. And what's fascinating about watching Pinocchio is it is the Frankenstein story. Yes, it is. It is, it is an iteration of that story. Mm -hmm. And 
the way he dealt with it was so incredible to me. There are aspects of that movie that are frightening. Mm -hmm. There are aspects of it that are gorgeous and every bit of it is heartbreaking. And the entire idea of talking about, um, the thing that we don't normally talk about with animated films, because, you know, to your point, most of them are made for kids. One of the things that we rarely ever talk about with animated films is the aspect of death mm -hmm. and the aspect of the finality of life. And that's what his version of Pinocchio is all about. And I mean, it was just gorgeous for me. I cannot wait to rewatch this one, too. Yes. I, I love this movie. Yes. So moving into our number one slots. Yes. My number one movie of this year of 2022 was Jordan Peele's Nope. <laughs> Written and directed by Jordan Peele. It stars Daniel Kaluuya, Kiki Palmer, Stephen Yoon, uh, the great Michael Wincott. I was so excited to see him back on the big screen. Brandon Preria and uh, Keith David. And was uh, uh, photographed by the great Hoyta von Hoytema, who's worked a lot with Christopher Nolan. He's worked. Uh, he shot one of my favorite movies, Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. Um, this was just a movie that really, really blew my mind. Mm -hmm. I mean, I love this movie. Um, I don't think I quite love it for the same reasons everybody else seems to. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think most other people kind of went into it excited about picking apart a new Jordan Peele movie and, you know, like discovering the mysteries of it and everything. Yes. It really wasn't that for me. It was really like there, this movie for me, he talked about it on a round table recently but it was funny because that was already how i felt about it for me this felt like his most personal movie that he's made up to this point mm -hmm. and it felt like he and he's since confirmed that this is exactly what he did but yeah. when we were watching it, it felt to me like he took the side of himself that wrote and directed a movie like get out or a movie like us mm -hmm. and turned that into the daniel kaluuya character yeah and then took the part of himself that can jump onto Key and Peel and put that into the Kiki Palmer character and made those two characters brother and sister. Yes. The dynamic between the two of them is unbelievable. I could watch those two actors, Kiki Palmer and Daniel Kaluuya, I could watch them up against a white wall reciting the dictionary and be enthralled. Mm -hmm. They are incredible together. They and are. They're beautiful compliments of one another they are because they're on the opposite end of the spectrum like one is very extroverted and loud and yeah. out there and very like a showman yeah. which is kiki's uh role and then david kaluuya is more reserved more yeah. observant more quiet yeah um but also is the backbone of the family because yeah. he's the one that's kind of holding everything together while kiki gets to like kind of be someone everywhere at once yep and it's just an amazing story, too. It I is. mean, I love the fact that it takes place on, like, a black rodeo. Yeah, yeah. Like, and this the, is awesome. And, you know, it goes back to a little bit what we were talking about with Is That Black Enough for You? That it, what it chooses to do, I think, very beautifully, because it, it never turns into the centerpiece of the story, but instead allows it to be the thing that kind of pushes you into these two characters yeah. is... It also investigates the history of black Americans on film. Yep. And, you know, part of the whole entire story is that their great, great, great grandfather was the jockey that was on a horse in one of the first yes. moving images ever recorded. Mm -hmm. um, that whole entire idea of taking that and then 
running with it and then playing with these different notions of how people look at each other and talk to each other within Hollywood without ever making it the full conversation is incredible to me. Yeah. You know, one of the other things that comes up is the fact that Daniel Kaluuya is, is one of my favorite parts of the whole entire movie. <laughs> In the very beginning, Daniel Kaluuya's character is introduced and his name is OJ for Otis Jr. Yeah. And he is talking with a guy on a set, a first AD, a first assistant director on a set, who says, what's your name? And he says, OJ. And this white guy looks at him and goes, really? <laughs> and, you know, Daniel Kaluuya's response isn't, it's like it's so ingrained that everybody is going to say this to him that he just doesn't even react. No. It's just this blank. Yeah, like know, when I was growing up, everybody, I, as soon as someone found out my name, I know it's so corny. Yeah. It's so corny, but that was just the truth of it. Like, anybody that was aware of Britney Spears would yeah. say that to me. Like, soon as they were like, what is your name? I'm like, Britney. Oh, like Britney Spears? Ha, yeah, ha, ha. Yeah. Everybody would say yeah. that to me. And I was like, well, if you see our names, they're actually spelled completely different. <laughs> they're actually kind of pronounced slightly different yeah. as well because my name is spelled B-R-I-T-T-A-N-Y. Yeah. So it's really Brittany. Yeah. Like that's really how you pronounce my name. But of course, when people say Brittany, I just accept it because I don't want, people don't have to do the hard T's. People don't yeah. have to say Brittany. Yeah. So I don't care that someone doesn't, pronounce my name hard that way yeah. but her name is Brittany. it's literally pronounced Brittany, while mine is Brittany. it's spelled yeah. completely different yep but people will still throw those little things in like oh like britney spears and i'm like oh <laughs> please stop it like yep. i used to hate that <laughs> and, and you know them playing with all of these notions of identity in this movie without while, while still making it a comment on you know we're talking about steven spielberg on that almost spielbergian idea of what is spectacle? Yeah. And why are we today in the information age so obsessed with it? Mm -hmm. That was really, really fascinating to mm -hmm. me. Um, I also just love whenever Steven Yeun can show up in a movie. Mm -hmm. I'm a huge fan of his. Of course, he was Glenn on The Walking Dead. Yes. Um, and uh, I loved him essentially coming and playing the villainous character of the story. I thought that was great. <laughs> um, and then, like I said, seeing seeing my dude Michael Wincott an actor who I've been in love with for years, just showing back up and giving this unbelievable performance that to me, like, you know, forget awards, man. I like, that was, he gets every award in my book for just even showing back up in a big way. Yes. Um, so I adore this movie and, uh, I'm very, very glad that, you know, we were able to talk about it. Okay. And my number one is bones and all. Yeah. So it is a romantic horror film. Directed by Luca Guadagnino. Um, and it is based on the 2015 novel Bones and All by Camille DeAngelis. Um, the film stars Taylor Russell and Timothy Chalamet as a pair of young cannibals who flee together on a road trip across the country and develop feelings for each other. Um, some of the other actors are Michael Stuhlberg, um, Andre Holland, Chloe Savini, um, David Gordon Green, Jessica Harper, <laughs> just to name a few. Yeah. Uh, and this was a really amazing one too because this did like, you mention Chloe Savini? I did. Oh, okay, okay, yeah, yeah, okay, sorry, yeah, yeah, I sure did. Yes, yeah, Scott, I did. I was grabbing my water. <laughs> <laughs> but this was an amazing film for me, and this is my top number one because these are the kind of films that 
really inspired me to want to like write and make yeah. my own. Yeah. And I, so I love this one. I love this romantic, like coming of age story because they're very young mm-hmm. and you see how they both have this monster inside them, but on the outside, they're very beautiful yeah. kind of soft-spoken people actually. And when you hear the story of, Timothy Chalamet's character, how he talks about how his dad was and all the things that they were these protective and like beautiful young people that kind of also too just had to accept that monster part of them more sometimes often than we don't in real life. Mm -hmm. Like there's probably like a monster side to all of us, but many of us try to bury it deep down inside and we don't accept it. And of course the fact that we don't is because a lot of society like, Mm-hmm. looks down on that but not also not because of that but also because sometimes your monster is is on unatta- it's like on a you know how you say yeah, it's it's, it's very yeah, yeah and it's very untamed yeah so sometimes you have no control over it and that's the sad thing with some people it's like they have no control over yeah. that monster while most of us do and they kind of just tried to have control but they didn't yeah. And I love that contrast in the film, how I would see them being very beautiful, young, naive, gullible people on the outside, but they had this monster that would rip you to shreds and literally eat you bones yeah. and all. Yeah. <laughs> so that was really kind of an awesome story. And yeah. it was really cool to see Luca Guadagnino, Timothy Chalamet, yeah. and Michael Swilbert all get back together yes. again. Yes. Because they were from call me by your name yeah. so it was and nice to jessica see. harper as well who had just done suspiria with yes, and of with course him. was in the original suspiria came back yeah. for that one and came back again for this yes very exciting to see so her. it was amazing coming of age romantic film yeah and i just i melted like i melted into my seat and yeah. that's why i think this is my number one because yeah. all these movies had a very profound and beautiful positive effect on me yeah. but this one melted me so this yeah. is why this is my number one i i also want to uh just mention that uh while bones and all did not make my list it is the soundtrack that i have listened to the most this year really uh the trent Reznor atticus rock of course i'm a i'm an enormous nine inch nails fanatic but then, yeah we like, were singing the song yeah <laughs> we were listening to a song this i mean we we were listening to a song before we even saw the movie yep. where, as soon as the soundtrack came out i was like you're not gonna believe it trent sings on the new yeah. soundtrack <laughs> and then we see the movie and you see the context of that song and it's like whoa yes like it's it, so it really is like a smack in the face yes. and, and it's incredible um so I will say that of all the movies that came out this year, that is still getting play from me. Yes. Like I'm still playing that soundtrack over and over <laughs> and over again. Uh, I'm also really excited to see that they actually specifically, uh, Trent Reznor Atticus Ross, are teamed back up with Luca Guadagnino on his new movie that I think he's just finished shooting, mm-hmm. uh, which is a, a tennis drama starring Zendaya. Oh, awesome. Um, I think Mark Rylance has come back for that one too, okay. but I, I, I can't remember. But yeah, this was a cool movie. Um, I was kind of blown away when I found out that this is based on the kind of a YA novel. Yes. And, the, and that's like my wheelhouse. You know that. Yeah. Like, I love, I still to this day love, even though I'm a grown woman, I still love like YA books and coming of age stories. Yeah. I mean, those are the ones that have the most profound effect on me because I see how it shaped people. Yeah. So it's such an amazing like journey to be on with storytellers and and authors and stuff so that's why this is my number one yeah like you know the the other thing that really struck me about this when we were watching in theater is that you know it it reminds me so much of badlands Mm -hmm. and watching it and being kind of like this is so cool to see 
Timothy Chalamet, you know, Timmy Tim. Yeah. And Taylor Russell is like today's version of Martin Sheen and Sissy Spacek. Yeah. You know, and the... You're right. You know, there is this beautiful road movie that's mm-hmm. so, so gorgeously shot. Yeah. And I, I was just sitting there watching and I was just like, this is unbelievable the way they put this together and the way they did this. Because on paper, this is definitely a movie that's like... I don't know what the hell you're all thinking. Yeah. Like, I wish you all the best. Yeah. And then you actually see the film and you're like, I can't explain this to anybody. Mm-hmm. We couldn't even explain it to the two people there in the theater with us. Yep. Who, it was like, I don't get it. Yeah. Like, this movie, one people were like, uh, why movie, are you watching the same thing we were? The movie ended <laughs> and this woman yelled across the theater. They were the only other two people in the theater. Yelled across the theater. Did you guys get that? Because. I didn't get it. Yeah, I, like, I didn't get it. Well, we were watching the same film. <laughs> I was like, there's nothing difficult to understand yeah, here. There was but nothing like, that was difficult uh, about that at all. Not only that, to mention, the cinematography was great. Yes. Because I love the landscape. I yeah. love, 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 and absolutely adore the yeah. landscape. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of that landscape was landscape that, as a kid who got shipped off to Iowa to mm-hmm. my, you know, my mom's family a lot, mm-hmm. that landscape was something that I kind of know to a degree you know but like i was sitting there watching a movie and i'm sort of like i don't get that, to see that, that often. barren flat midwestern yeah. land and Man, i would there's... love to see that because i actually don't get to see yeah landscapes that look like that much often. i mean i grew up in the south yeah and all around us there's just like these wooded boony areas yeah. coupled with big cities yeah so Every time I see landscape like that, it makes me want to run away. Yeah. <laughs> I don't even know what I'd be running from, but I want to run away. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but that's awesome. So that's our our top 10. Do you have any final thoughts on our top 10 on the movies from this year that we saw? No, I think as well as them being our top 10, I think there are also recommendations. Yeah. So we'll just go and watch them. A lot of them are very easily inaccessible. Yep. Um, I don't know about Bones and All yet, like where that would be located. But if it would be located yeah. anywhere, it'd probably be HBO Max or something. Once I, I, I don't know. Yeah, oh, Amazon. I, it could be Amazon Prime. It might be Amazon uh, or uh, possibly Apple. I can't remember who. I think A24 was the distributor, oh, so A24. it might end up being like an Apple thing. Yes. Um, but yeah, like it's still, regardless, I think it's pretty easy to rent. Uh, and I yeah. think it's, it's probably and Pinocchio not. is also Netflix. Netflix. Um, is that black enough for you? Is Netflix. Uh, Pearl, mm-hmm. we were able to rent on Apple+. Plus. Uh, nope is on Peacock. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Fablemans does not have a streaming release, but should end up being on Peacock. Since and if a you want to see it right now, it's if for it a limited time, it is in theaters. Yep. Yes. Um, but yeah, so thank you all for tuning into this. So we're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to come back and very quickly go over our... Uh, Oscar bets yes. for uh, best uh, all the categories and everything. Yeah. All right, so we are back for last but certainly not least, we are going over our Oscar bets. Yes. <laughs> so what we've decided to do was to put down five dollars per category mm-hmm. on who is going to win which award. At the Oscars. Yeah, for which categories? Um, we are... So essentially the deal is is that if you don't... If neither of us get it, you just don't get anything out of it. Mm-hmm. If one of us gets it, then that's $5. you know $5 to you. And then if we both get it at the same time... So we have one category that we're both banking on the same person. Yeah. Um, 
then it just cancels each other out. Yeah, you, you know, get nothing. Yeah, you get nothing. And then uh, at the end of it, whoever has the most, whatever their that you know, whatever their uh, uh, categories that they won total up to, then that's what. That's the person that gets the payout. That's the person that gets the payout. Okay, awesome. The uh, Oscars, of course, are made on March twelfth this year. So we're gonna go ahead and talk about what we have for our predictions now. And then on March 12th, we'll see. We will see. We will be um, recording through each commercial break come Oscar time mm-hmm. uh, and uh, kind of updating uh, as we go along with what we're winning and losing. Yes, we were retaliating. Yeah, so that'll probably be a uh, uh, just a stupid episode of frustration uh, yeah. that'll be great. So yeah. very excited for that. <laughs> So, starting out, uh, we are running through the categories in the order that they are listed on the Oscar website, mm-hmm. on the Academy's website. So, starting with lead actor, uh, for me, I am putting down Brendan Fraser in The Whale. Okay, and for me, I am putting down Austin Butler for Elvis. Which, uh, that might end up happening. <laughs> Um, I think there's also a pretty good chance that Colin Farrell might get it. Neither of us might get anything for Angie's Vena Sharon. Yeah. Uh, For supporting actor, I think we both have the same person. Who do you have? Uh, Kehu Kwan. No, I got Brendan Gleeson. Oh, wow. Okay. So for me, I am going after Kehu Kwan for everything, everywhere, all at once. Yeah, I'm going after Brendan Gleeson. I changed mine. I was like, no, I'm going to pick Brendan Gleeson. All right. (laughs) Uh, For lead actress, I am... uh, Betting against Kate Blanchett, I think you are as well, maybe? Yes, I'm yeah. I'm going for Michelle Williams. And I'm going for Michelle Yeoh. So as far as we're concerned, it's the two Michelles yeah, uh, head, head to head. head. <laughs> uh, for supporting actress, I got Hong Chow for The Whale. I am not expecting to win this one. Um, And for the supporting actress, I got Angela Bassett for Black Panther. You can have my $5 now. <laughs> uh, for animated feature, I am again stepping out on a limb uh, with Marcel the Shell with shoes on. And for the animated picture for me, I am putting all my bets on Pinocchio. Which is a smarter idea. <laughs> uh, for cinematography, I am uh, going to put it all on uh, James, I believe it's Friend, but it might be Friend, uh, for All Quiet on the Western Front. And then for cinematography, I picked Tar because even when I was looking at yeah. the cinematography myself, it was so gorgeously was. shot that I was like, no, I have to pick Tar. It is. Uh, for well, that's funny because uh, for directing, uh, I am hedging my bets on Todd Field for Tar. Okay, okay. For directing me, I, I'm betting my hedge on Steven Spielberg for The Fablements. Um, and for editing, I am going to go ahead and put Top Gun Maverick up for it. I am, I am, I'm feeling pretty good about Top Gun Maverick when it comes to those technical awards. So. Yes. Yeah, so film editing for me, I put. Tar again. I picked Tar. Okay. So, yes. Those uh, are two for me. Uh, for international feature, I'm going for All Quiet on the Western Front. And for international feature film for me, I'm going Argentina, 1985. I guess this is the time to mention that it, uh, All Quiet on the Western Front is nominated in both in international and in picture. Yeah. So it does actually have that Chance potential of getting of, one or the other. <laughs> yeah, of actually winning for picture. Yeah. Uh, for makeup and hair, I'm going for The Whale. And for makeup and hair for me, I'm going for Black Panther, Wakanda Forever. Uh, for original score, I'm uh, I'm giving some love to my guy Carter Burwell, who does all the Coen Brothers scores for the Banshees of Inisherin. Okay, and I for mine, I'm going for the Fablements. So, for, yeah, yeah. 
what John Williams. I mean, yes, John I, Williams. Uh, again, like for a number of years, as you're calling them out, I'm like, let me go ahead and go to the <laughs> bank. Uh, for original song, I'm going for Lift Me Up, uh, the Rihanna song for Black Panther. And for music original song, I'm going for Not To Not To. Okay. Yes. Um, for a picture, this is uh, an interesting one. Yeah. Uh, I am going to hedge my best on everything, everywhere, all at once. I, I think that it has a good shot, weirdly. Okay, and for best picture for me, I'm betting everything on the Fablemans as well. So, For sound, back in these technical awards, I'm going again for Top Gun Maverick. And for sound for me, I'm going for Avatar, The Way of the Water. Uh, for visual effects, I am also Top Gun. And for visual effects for me, again, Avatar, The Way of the Water. <laughs> Uh, for adapted screenplay, I'm going to give some love to my dude Ryan Johnson for Glass Onion. And for adapted screenplay for me, I actually chose All Quiet on the Western Front. I'm pretty, yeah. I'm, uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and uh, for original screenplay, uh, I'm going for Todd Field for Tar. And for original screenplay for me, I'm going for The Banshees of Inisherin. So we also have the opportunity or the option to throw in something for. Of course, we didn't cover every single category mm -hmm. to throw in something for extra points. So mm -hmm. for me, I'm going to, in hopes of a few extra points, uh, throw in um, the Nan Golden documentary, All the Beauty and the Bloodshed, a documentary about Big Pharma that's got some, some good praise this year. Okay, and my extra point is for costume design, and I'm going for Ruth Carter for Black Panther, Wakanda Forever. Awesome. So we will... Uh, on March 12th, come back and see who got what. And, uh, well, I don't know. I'm, yeah. I'm hoping that I can uh, get a little bit extra cash out of this. I know. Look, we both have a chance <laughs> to win almost $100 in bet. Yep. But, like, uh, yeah, let's see. Yeah. <laughs> I doubt yeah. it would be anything that close. No, I, but... <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's going to be like a 20 to one yeah. or the other, if even that. Yes. <laughs> Well, awesome. So that was our episode for today. Uh, when we come back, we are coming back with a very special uh, birthday episode uh, talking about John Hughes, one of your uh, favorites. favorites. Yeah. Uh, so Directors and writers. You know, yeah. one of my favorites. So we will be coming back and doing a special episode on John Hughes. And after that, we'll be, you know... Uh, finding some other crazy stuff to watch and talk about. <laughs> but uh, hope everybody enjoyed, and we will see you next time. I'm Scott. And I'm Brittany. And this is the Film Cafeteria.